the future isn't set in stone. We're going to go back to the past as many times as it takes until life turns out well. Well, that didn't work. Stopping Stalin from taking power made it so Soviet tractors were the best in the world. Great Scott! Stopping that Black Plague turned everyone into rat lovers, and now they run around eating food at the table! Who could have guessed that saving the Roman Empire means we have to do math with Roman numerals now? The calculator! It just can't cope! Seriously, guys, one more time. If we save the bully mammoth and the saber-toothed tiger, then what will happen? Here, would you kindly pass me a donut? Donut? What's a donut? (laughs) It's raining again. Hey, Paisanos, it's the Backtrack Brothers Super Show! We're the Backtrack Brothers, and old school are games. We're not like the others to get all the fame. If your back left in trouble, you can call us in the double. We're more retro than the others, you'll be hooked on the brothers. You're hooked on the brothers. For a treat, so hang on to your seat. Get ready for adventure from RPG, so we have consoles, computers, handhelds, and the others. Listen to our show, you'll be hooked on the brothers. Yeah, yeah. RPG Backtrack, where we talk about computer and console role-playing games from the way back when, right up through yesteryear. Here are your hosts, Phil Willis and Mike Minky. And yes, you heard correctly, this is in fact the one, the only RPG Backtrack episode number 186, You Can Make History Young Again. Uh, That might take some dove soap to soak your hand in it uh i am your host phil willis and this is your other host the one the only mr mike minky yes i i deliberately made everyone think of an elton john easy listening tune from the 90s and i'm not ashamed of it elton john is a talented guy (laughs) well we also have some talented people to help us talk about making history young again first off we have mr akashua jarpender you're going to come up with something new every time, aren't you? Maybe. It is what he does. Yeah, it is. It's the stick. It's good. Yeah. How are you doing? Doing all right tonight. You ready? You're excited? Well, well, I'm supposed to be the spare tonight. I'm not the expert on this game. Ah. Well, and then we also have uh, Keligor Regan with us. <laughs> That's not even close. I don't even think you're trying anymore. No, he was trying. That's the problem. <laughs> okay, don't, don't try. Just don't. Don't try? <laughs> but yes, I, I am the expert on this game tonight because I completed it recently, so... Yeah. And we also have Miss Cassandra Ramos, who will be joining us shortly into the podcast here. From what I understand, she's running a little late, but we got to keep the show going. So we'll be happy to prompt her in once she jumps on the Skype. So that's cool. 
So what are we talking about tonight, Phil? I, I don't hear, think we've introduced it. I hear, rumor has it, that we're talking about Radiant Historia with fleeting mentions of Radiant Historia Perfect Chronology. A game that came out less than three months ago, so we have to make them fleeting because otherwise we would destroy the faith of all of our listeners in our ability to distinguish between what can be spoiled to hell and what cannot be spoiled to hell because it's too new. If we talk about a new game for too long in the podcast, everybody knows it's just like throwing a portable hole into a bag of holding. The universe just implodes. It's the result. You just can't do it here on the RPG backtrack. And that's fine. That's that's cool. We got that. So we're going to talk mostly about Radiant Historia tonight. So uh, we got a lot to talk about. Uh, I'll preface this by saying, you know, we have a Slack channel that that we chit chat in from time to time, and we have a channel just for RPG backtrack that, for the most part, remains dormant. It's mostly just, hey, what's the next show going to be about? I think we'll record next Tuesday. And and instead, what I got, and I got my phone set up to to, to notify me whenever there's something mentioned there because it's so rare. But it's usually somebody who says, yeah, I can be at the show this time, so I want to make sure I catch it. And oh my gosh, it was like my phone became like the nine one one center or something because it was just ringing off the hook. As uh, these guys that you're going to hear on the show today were going back and forth on their thoughts and memories and getting these huge piles, copious notes put together taking notes for their notes to make sure they were ready to discuss the deep story of this game well n- not only that i had both of my ds's out comparing and contrasting the two versions of the game oh see that's deep research you only get that rpg backtrack man you don't get that q a quest or rpg cast just saying just saying it's only right here so uh, I'm excited. That is, a, that is true, Phil. That we is must tout ourselves as much as possible. <laughs> exactly. Stomp on those other podcasts that are out there. Uh, so I'm just excited just based on how excited these guys are. So we're going to take a teeny tiny break, let you listen to this fine musical selection, and then we're going to return to talk about reading Historia. Hold on tight.
are ready to take off with the main event. The main event is where we take a game or a series of games and we rip them open like children tearing apart, wrapping off presents off Christmas, and we dive into all the juicy bits that are on the inside. Today, Speak for yourself. My family members <laughs> impressed upon me the need to preserve wrapping paper, so I tried my hardest not to tear it. One little corner at a time. Today's yeah. game... <laughs> that we're tearing into is Radiant Historia, developed by Atlas, published in North America by Atlas USA. Uh, this was released on the Nintendo DS here in North America on February 22nd, 2011. This is a single-player RPG, and this is rated A. This is rated S for spoilers, because that's exactly what we're going to be doing here tonight. You shouldn't be listening to the RPG backtrack. Honestly, boys and girls, we've told you this before. That's what we do. We... Wait, the ESRB has an actual spoiler rating? It, it does now. Used... I don't see it anywhere. It, it, it's, it's, now, it's now a thing, because I said so. Okay. That's the power I wield. <laughs> Been learning from Deadpool. So, what are we doing? What are we doing? What are we doing? We, oh my gosh. I, you know, we, we usually dive... We dive into the setting, and then we move into the story. But I'm going to let you guys handle it. What do you want to get into? Because I just feel like you spent so much time putting these notes together. I, I just want to get out of the way. All right. You want, well, you want me to start reading from the prologue description here that Joshua so helpfully put together? It must have taken a while. Well, the first thing probably to talk about is just like the overall structure of the game where – well, I, I mean it comes up in the prologue, but you know, this is a game where you're, it's about – time travel and separate timeline and the the weird concept of one thing in one timeline somehow affecting things that happen in another timeline so that kind of becomes a uh important uh part of the 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 game and the story yeah it, it's definitely a game that the mst3k mantra of it's really just a show you should really just relax kind of takes place because if you think about the time the wibbly wobbly timey wimey stuff too hard you're gonna hurt yourself it's like you're saying that time travel inherently comes with paradoxes that cannot logically oh. be resolved oh but, yes yes but yeah. we know game this. writers never do that <laughs> And it also makes, like, talking about the story slightly convoluted because you'll, you know, you'll work your way all the way into, like, the second or third chapter in one to be able to get the ability you need to go back to, like, chapter two in the other timeline and work your way forward. So it's one one thing it's very good at, uh, and I'm remembering the recent reissue, so you'll have to tell me if it was different in my fading memories of the original, but it's pretty clear when there is something else you can do if you go back to a certain junction and say, oh, look, there's a there's an option to do something else, but I haven't uncovered it yet. Hmm, I might need to go back there someday. Honestly, the best way to play this game is to play through one timeline until you reach a point to where you can't continue and then jump to the other timeline and then play through that one until you reach a point where you can't continue. And that's really how the game is kind of intended to play, be, be played. You're not supposed to go through the entire timeline there's two different timelines, and you're not supposed to go through the entire either one and one go. You're meant to jump back and forth. Fact, and you, you can't can. go through either one and one go. No, you can't. Not even in New Game Plus. <laughs> so, Radiant Historia starts out like the very opening scene, I believe, is like you, you see these two two young twins 
who are just like looking out over a completely devastated world. It's just com- desert as far as the eye can see. And they're, they, they, there's a little bit of talk back and forth, and they decide like, well, we got to go back in time again to try and stop it again. Um, it, this process of and, desert. And they- and they Go convey ahead. that they have done this many, many times in the past. <laughs> yes. Exactly. There's been a ton of failed attempts. So after after seeing that, we, we shift to Stock, who is the main character of this game. He's a skilled intelligence agent for one of or for one of the two major countries on the continent that it takes place on, Alistil. I think that's how it's pronounced. And he gets assigned a mission to rescue another intelligence agent and bring important intel about the other countries aren't armaments and, and he also wears a distinctive red cloak that makes for makes him easily identifiable in pretty much every surrounding oh wait i see her here miss cassandra almost has arrived finally got here <laughs> that's okay we just barely got started oh re- rewind time we have to go back we have to go back do <laughs> it white chronicle time we need to show again just how distinctive stocks garb is <laughs> he has a he has a really nifty looking sprite <laughs> yeah it definitely makes him stand out and his general mannerisms also make him stand out he he doesn't talk a whole lot unless forced to. He'd rather just get the job done instead of yammering about it. And the way everyone talks about him, he's a guy who gets things done. He has a with... very particular set of skills. <laughs> he is, I think, considerably younger than Liam Neeson, though. <laughs> yeah, but still, he, he gets stuff done. And it's funny, he, he doesn't really come off like a jerk. He's just very serious and to the point, so you kind of like him and appreciate him for it but then in some scenes he also kind of acts like he's having fun but we'll get to that later and he does occasionally act like a jerk but he recognizes it and tries to make amends later in the in the name of getting the job done as quickly as possible he is capable of acting like a jerk standoffish maybe not a jerk yeah i'll buy that so he gets his first mission to rescue this intelligence agent and his boss, um, this very, uh, God, what's the best way to describe the, the, the character portrait of Heist? Uh, how about Dickensian? Yeah. <laughs> See, <laughs> really huge nose. <laughs> he reminds me of Igor from uh, Shimigami, or from Persona. Totally. <laughs> very reminiscent of that. And apparently he was balding in the original and in the remake he has hair. <laughs> he does. But his hair is the type that sprouts all around the sides and the back, but doesn't leave much on top. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, so, I just picture him cruelly taunting English orphans. That, that's just the kind of vibe he gives me. Yeah. <laughs> and also, when you see his character portrait, you're like, hmm, I wonder who the bad guy is going to be in this. Yeah. And then you don't see a whole lot of him as the rest of the game goes because he's conveniently absent much of the time. Couldn't mean anything, though. No, totally. So when he gives you that first assignment, he also gives you this book called The White Chronicle. And it's this blank book. And and I, I think Stock was like basically asked him, like, what the heck am I supposed to do with this thing? He's like, well, carry it along. It might be a good luck charm. So they go out on the first mission. And he oh, and and Heist does assign him a couple of subordinates, and Stock yeah. isn't thrilled with that. No, 
yeah, at the beginning, Stock was very much lone wolf kind of guy. But he gets mm-hmm. assigned Randy and Marco, who are our first party member, and kind of carry on all throughout the rest of the game. So they go out on that first mission to save the spy, but things don't go well, and Rainy and Marco are killed, and Stock has to, like, jump uh, jump into a river to get away. And, 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 he's, and he's he's mortally wounded, or pretty close. And it, um, before this, when you first meet Rainy and Marco, Stock has a vision from the White Chronicle, of have, has a vision of their deaths, and is kind of yeah. creeped out by it. <laughs> oh, and when the mission came... fails, too, because the spy dies. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Everybody dies. So when he regains consciousness, he wakes up in Historia and meets the two twins from earlier, who are Tio and Lippy. And they let him know that his poor decisions kind of led to his comrades' deaths. But since he has the White Chronicle, he can rewrite history. So it this wasn't, time, it, it wasn't even really a poor decision. The uh, the way to get a wave was blocked. Yeah. Which comes up over and over again in this game, where you'll make what you think is the correct decision, mm-hmm. and it turns out like, nope, nope, you're dead anyway. <laughs> and then you, get to, then you pop up in front of Tio and Lipty again, and they say, well, Stock, that, that looked like a good choice, but I guess it wasn't. You're going to have to go back and try something else. <laughs> or, or words to that effect every time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's one of the things you kind of have to get used to in the game, that you're going to, yep, you're going to see a oh. lot of game overs by, by, by design. Unless yeah, you follow a guide, <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll get in. We'll get into this more when we get through the well, story. Well, are they technically game overs when they don't boot you back to the title screen? You just go back to Tail and Lipty and get to choose another Nexus. They're non-standard game overs, I'd say, sort of, kind of. So, uh, also from this, you know, since Stock is able to go back in time and kind of use that knowledge to prevent prevent the deaths from happening he's he's actually still injured from the first time and we kind of that's like the first hint that like like even though stock is you know like changing between the timelines he's still uh he's still uh he's, he's not reversing his in. own timeline yeah he can't go back to when he was uh, a little kid and change everything because he can impart to himself everything he now knows or anything like that. Um, yeah, sorry. Oh, okay. So a- after that first mission and, and stock survives, like you get to the first big choice where the two timelines, uh, two timelines split. And the the big choice is whether Stock joins his friends Rosh's brigade or um, he stays as working for Heiss. And that you know, the joining Rosh's brigade becomes alternate history and going under Heiss's standard. History. And Heiss and works we, in uh, what is it? Special intelligence. That's his unit. Yeah, yeah. special intelligence. And we should point out that Rosh is Stock's best friend, who kind of enlisted him in the army. And they're pretty much bromance types. Yeah. So at this point, when the game splits in the alternate history where he joins Rosh's brigade, his first mission is to take a bunch of raw recruits and head off to a mine to beat back the other country. And a rock slide has blocked the mine. And so they're waiting on forces that are uh, basically an explosive merchant to bring bombs so that they can blow their way through. But... Of course. And and now you get to find out if you try to wait it out, wait for the explosive merchant. Well, 
That was the wrong decision. Yeah. You, the, the, things go badly if you do that. Yeah, this is your first non-standard game over when you realize that, okay, the stakes in this game are very real, that you can't just... There, there is no... Well, technically there is, but thou must, but <laughs> it ends horribly, unlike in Dragon Quest, where the king just repeats what they want you to do the whole time. Exactly. So at this point, like to continue forward, don't you have to flip over to the standard history? Yes. Where? Yeah. Where like your first mission on there is to like capture a spy, and it kind of turns out as part of uh, doing that, you end up uh, saving the weapons merchant. Yep. You end up saving the weapons merchant, so that when you flip back to the other timeline, the weapons merchant shows up, and you're able to complete the mission. (laughs) That's pretty much the prologue, isn't it? Yeah, that must have been to chapter one too. I think that that's actually yeah. yeah. Which which is something that happens a lot in this game, where you'll have to play a little bit into the next chapter to unlock something that you need for the previous chapter on the alternate timeline. Yeah, I tended to like go into one timeline until I hit a a block somewhere, and then skip to the other one instead of like alternating to every plot point. Yeah, is generally how I did it. Yeah, that that's pretty much the way you have to play through the game because if you try to jump back and forth, you're just going to end up confusing yourself. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the big one I remember right now is when in the standard history, Stock is infiltrating the other nation's royal palace and you have to find a way to get through there unnoticed. And you do not have that in the standard history. You have to run along until he has an altercation with Heiss and learns a way to get move along undetected in the alternate history. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot of the abilities you learn in this game kind of work like that. Um, You learn how to set and detonate bombs. Um, You learn an ability that lets you see hidden items. Uh, You learn the invisibility ability. Um, It seems like there was something else. I think that's pretty much it. Oh, you gain the ability to smash through vegetation and whatnot. Yeah. Yeah, that too. Little roadblocks. And your way to help you find items and hidden moves and stuff like that. So where were yeah, we? Yeah, those are the major ones, but they're also plot beats that you have to hit in the other timeline before you can move along. Right, right. Like, let's see, near the end when you have to convince uh, Mr. Big Bald, evil man, who's leading Alistair, uh Hugo. Hugo, there we go. That, oh, he has to be able to abandon his his fervor for the prophet Noah for just a little bit and not kill himself and everyone around him by smashing the entire secret hidden laboratory. That's near the end, though. Yeah. Okay, you've got the bombs. You're in the cave. You fight goblins. You take out the Grand Org troops that are in the cave. And we learn that Rainey and Marco, well, they were the only survivors of their previous unit, which was in a cave-in. <laughs> this will not come up again in any way whatsoever. Uh, it kind of does in one of Rainey's side quests. Heiss also mentioned something about it at the end. Yeah, but we, ha- we have kind of a whole separate section on the side quests. Okay. Probably for the best. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And then we'd go back to standard history. Actually, we already learned about that, where by saving the weapons merchant along the way to right, rendezvousing with the spy, you were able to get the weapons merchant to change his course of the alternate history, get those bombs to you so that you can blow your way into that mine. 
And then you go back to the alternate history, and Rosh's brigade is ordered to Judgment Cliff. A am I doing all of it? No, no, um, along the way, Stocks received a message from Heist via a spy who had infiltrated the troops that he had better come back to Speckin. Otherwise, he will see a sad fate along with Stock coldly declines his offer, and the messenger gives him new details concerning the mission, which is to join Field Marshal Viola's unit at the Sand Fortress before leaving. Rosh is then taken by surprise at this news, considering that his men are too few to be adequate reinforcements. <clears throat> Oh, and you, you have heard that Field Marshal Viola is really impressive and a great commander on the battlefield. She's called the Valkyrie, but she's also always out at the Sand Fortress instead of back in the capital of Alistel, as if someone wants to keep her out of the way. Mm. Nope, that won't, that won't play into anything either. <laughs> Not suspicious at all. <clears throat> So, Stark, Randy, and Marco follow the spy and kill him during the fight, and that's when you actually find out he is the first inc incarnation of a shadow. And while dying, he explains that since Speckin is somehow still unofficial on paper and in no position to oppose General Raoul, Heiss is planning to take Stark back by having Roche fall into disgrace. He reveals that somebody envious of Roche's success is behind the plan, too, and a voice accuses him of having spoke too much. The man is then surrounded by a black glow and then turns into sand. And then upon going back to Rostock, warns, warns him that their destination might not be a coincidence, but he does not speak about the messenger being hit by the sand plague. And you'll find that a lot of characters in this story about to, are about to reveal something and then suddenly get hit by the sand plague. It's kind of like the fox die in uh, Metal Gear, if anyone remembers that. I I know very little about Metal Gear, sorry. Basically, convenient plot deaths. So well, of after... course, this one also comes from the holder of the Black Chronicle. Right, right. So after some forced dead ends, Stock can defeat the Gragonites assaulting the Sand Fortress. And then we jump back to the standard history, where Stock is supposed to meet an, an informant at Lasville Hills, who should direct him to the next des destination. He then wonders about infiltrating enemy territory, but knows that it's an important it's an important mission that could put an end to the war, and goes looking for Randy and Marco to depart. Um, Stock finally finds them waiting for him at the bar, and after making some preparations for the mission, they leave they leave to go to Alastel, which is the um, kingdom that Granorg is at war with. I'm sorry, I got that confused. They leave Alistel and head to Granorg, who they're at war with, and when they get to Granorg, they're assigned to assassinate Princess Aruka. And you've seen a couple of scenes at this point indicating Princess Aruka is strongly opposed to the course of her stepmother, the current queen, who appears to be giving Marie Antoinette a run for her money with as far as obliviousness with regard to her subjects runs. <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> yeah, nobody likes, I forgot her name, Queen Protea. Protea, Protea yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, except for the two powers behind the throne in Granorg, who just keep her there as a puppet to deflect attention. And even they eventually <laughs> have enough of her. Exactly. Yeah. Kind of hits a little close to home when you think about it. <laughs> <laughs> No, I can't think of any real-world parallels whatsoever. Uh, <laughs> moving <yeah>. on. <laughs> yes, we, we do not want to derail this into the RPG 
politics cast. <laughs> no one wants that. Please, no. So, having warned their objective, Stock and his friends overhear rumors about Erica being the leader of the resistance, and which do nothing but sow more doubts. So, they go to find a way to sneak into the castle, and thus, sewer level. Because why not? <laughs> well, I've seen worse sewer levels. No, it's it's not a bad sewer level. It's just check, check, checking off that tick box of a sewer level in an RPG. And then you I wonder your... if Spoonie ever played it. Ugh. So you get through and you find out that you still need a way to sneak past the guards. So there's your roadblock for this chapter. And after you figure out how to pass the guards, the castle turns out to be a trap. But the resistance of the resistance leads them out, and you meet the resistance's leader, which surprise, surprise is Princess Erica. And Stock gets deja vu as he feels like he knows Erica, but that can't be a coincidence at all. Nope. nope. Not significant nope. whatsoever. So, Will not pay off. <laughs> so the princess then explains why the desertification is happening and that basically the mana of the land has become unstable and it's the job of the royal the family. The royal family has to perform some kind of a ritual to stave off the desertification. Not stop it, just stall just, it. Mm-hmm. Yes. And the standard and this history- ritual hasn't been performed for a while. Yeah. Yeah. Since that- the queen was a commoner, she can't perform. Right. And her former husband, Erica's fa- now deceased father, he attempted to do it, but something didn't quite work, pan out, so it didn't succeed. <laughs> Right. Yeah. And this this game does a lot of foreshadowing and to stuff that pays off much later. And then for the rest of chapter two, we're in the alternate history where now that you've got the intel and have dealt with all those annoying granite forces, you can go through the sand fortress, reach the plains. And once you have done that, well, Granorg has infiltrated the fortress right behind you. And you've got to find a way to deal with that. And if you, and that also requires that you have the ability to find hidden objects. Because if you don't, then attempting to deal with this will run into the fact that Grand Ark has dumped a bunch of concealed explosives around the castle that will all go off and ruin your plans. <laughs> so you better find them first. Also, interesting note: the game knows that it's possible at point to uh, get the ability to see bombs before you actually know that you have to look for bombs. So Stock can make a comment about what's a bomb doing here, which is kind of neat. Hmm. Yeah, I think I came across that, but you have to look very closely to find them before you gain that ability. Yeah. And let's see. Well, once you are able to do that, you have saved the fortress, but oh gosh, Rosh did not fare very well out on the field. And you've got to help him out because it seems like General Hugo, that stand-up guy who has been speaking to the masses about the Prophet Noah's words, the Prophet Noah who has not been seen in public for years and yet is still saying things that the nation of Alistel cannot get enough of, well, that's not suspicious in the slightest. And what do you know? Getting Rosh out of there so that he isn't killed after being gravely injured on the field? seems to be kind of important. And it's not easy. (laughs) (laughs) No, because Rosh is a big dude with a metal arm. Yes, and his 
his gauntlet. They, they use that proper noun all the time, so I think I'd better use it here just once. Is, um, well, it gets broken, and even after he heals, eventually he's still kind of bummed because the gauntlet was kind of a part of him. He'd been using it in combat for a while, and he, well, oh, and that also ties into Sonya, whom we haven't mentioned at all. <laughs> But, yes, Sonia is um, Rosh's uh, girlfriend and is the chief engineer of his gauntlet. And you find out later that the reason why the gauntlet means a lot to him is because it belonged to Sonia's brother. And she is also a skilled medic who eventually comes along once Rosh has to be slipped out before her, Hugo's agents kill him. And shockingly enough, having her support turns out to be critical because otherwise, Rosh might just might not listen to everything Stock has to say. Mm-hmm. And yeah, later maybe. on, sorry. Oh no, later, it's fine. There's a side quest that kind of goes into their relationship a lot better, and you actually have to like go back in time to talk to Sonia to figure out what's going on with her, and it's kind of a touching little side quest. There are a lot of side quests in this game. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So oh, they... hey, we didn't even mention that getting to Granorg in the standard history, you met a trio of Satyros, one of whom is named Ott, and might just be, and is an amazingly good character because she can put traps out, and she's a cute little Satyros who can, who has a shaman who can send spirits onto the the land a- after life. Yeah, and as the name implies, uh, say, the Satyros are satyrs. Uh, this game actually does, these games have beast kinds, beast people, and they do things differently uh, compared to other RPGs. So you get satyrs and eventually the gut trolls, which are gorilla people. And, you know, after seeing mostly, I, you see cat people, you see dog people, you see dragon people, you very rarely see satyrs and gorilla people. And, yeah, we also forgot to mention that you have to, you eventually get stopped at a checkpoint because you're in, you're in with this band of, uh, Entertainer slash entertainers, and you have to perform, do a performance to convince guards that you're part of this band, and you have to. And go you back don't to... know how to do it at first yeah. because Stock mm-hmm. is not skilled at this. Yeah, so you have to go back to the other history and learn, uh, learn um, sword dancing from Keel, who is a soldier who gets singled out amongst Rosh's troop. Yeah, and also tragically dies. <laughs> Yeah. Well, he died doing what he wanted to most, being of help to the squad and helping his leader, Rosh, get out. So it was a noble death. So once everyone is... So once they've snuck Rosh out of the capital and and uh, Stock has kind of made his fighting retreat, he, he kind of collapses, but uh, Gafka and Ott are there, you know, to save them and give them refuge in the the town in the village of Celestia, and, and you haven't met Gafka at all before this. Yeah, I think this is the first time he shows up. Yes, he's a guttral, a gorilla person. He's the most powerful one, right? I believe so. Yeah, I think that. Yeah, fit, fittingly, he's very strong physically, <laughs> and he just and he is surprisingly well spoken based on the stereotype of so many other forms of media where beast people. Me, Kafka, not like you. And uh, another neat aside, I like that they have what looks like Chinese-style armor, the uh, the gut trolls. Really, mm-hmm. neat, really neat touch there. Mm-hmm. 
So so now at this point, Hugo, General Hugo is in complete control of Alistair. So Stock decides to infiltrate to see what's happening in the in the city and uh, try and meet up with Lieutenant General Rawl. So once you get back into Alistair, you see this this um, little bit where Hugo is kind of like delivering a um, a message to the people right out in the town square. And kind of the gist of it is like, we're about to win the war. And once we do, we're going to turn on all the beast folk next and kind of conquer the entire continent. Because the prophet Noah says so. We must spread our doctrine of peace and tolerance by conquering everything in our path. Peace or else. (laughs) Pretty much. Also, beast people are bad. Yeah. Yes, they, they are the reason for all the desertification that's happening right now. So let's go kill them all, and the desertification will stop. Man, persecution. <laughs> so, so after doing this, they kind of decide, like, okay, we got to get together an army, and they want uh, um, Roush to lead it, but he, you know, he's kind of lost all of his confidence since his gauntlet is destroyed. So you have to do uh, a whole bunch of backtracking to be able to fix his gauntlet. Don't you have to go all the way back to the very beginning of the game? <laughs> No, what happens what happens is you have to play through the other timeline until Rosh uh, I'm trying to remember now. At some point you're considered a heathen in the other timeline. I think because you're part of the resistance group with Princess Aruka. Oh yeah, that's where you're that's where you're protecting her and when you've actually been assigned to kill her and so yeah. she's going to do it. That's yeah, and eventually so... Rosh finds you and you fight and you end up having to kill him because he won't back down and you have to change his persuasion a little bit in the alternate history before he'll listen to reason in the standard his, standard history. Yeah. Yeah. It's probably the most confusing bit in the game because you have to kill him in one timeline to get his gauntlet and then go way back in time to fix the gauntlet, to give it to him in the other timeline when he's having his heroic blue screen of death. And then once he fixes, once his gauntlet gets fixed, then that causes him to change heart in the first timeline where you killed him in the first place. So you don't have to kill him the second time. Yeah. <laughs> Does everyone oh, and- everyone yeah. hear all that? And before yeah. you, before this, you have the cha- the choice of letting Raul become the commander of the army, and he's fine with it, he, even though he hasn't commanded in a while. And you can do that, and then you get a bad ending because mm-hmm. by letting Raul out on the battlefield, he gets gravely injured and dies sometime, and we can't have that because he's critical to events. So it has to be Rosh. Yeah, I think that I think the bit with Rosh and the gauntlet is the point in the game where I had to just put it down and be like, okay, don't think too hard about it. Just play. It <laughs> makes sense in the end because of just that huge paradox. You have to kill him to save him. Well, you returned to the junction right before you killed him the first time. Right. Yeah, right. It's that... just very confusing. That that bit right there. Yeah, especially since it's not really clear if this is like a parallel universe situation or not. It's, it's right, never... right. Yeah, because things in so, one time. We're going back to the standard those. history now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So back in the standard history, um, Stock and his group, like they, they, you know, after they've, let's see, where were we on standard history before? We had, we we had, had just, out, we had just gotten, gotten out. out. Princess Erica. Yeah. Yeah. They went to a village to kind of like uh, confirm 
some of her claims about the desertification. Meanwhile, because, the, the Rainey and Marco were understandably a little reluctant when their mission was to kill her, and Stock decided not to fulfill that mission. Yeah, yeah, they were definitely questioning his leadership. <laughs> So while that is going on, the the queen, Queen Port Protea, is kind of like going going totally crazy and orders that the entire city to be set ablaze just to just to slaughter all the resistance who are plotting her assassination. And it, it's finally about this point that the couple of underlings who I don't remember their names anymore. Uh, Salvin but and who was the other one? Um, I know he's he's the blonde one. Yes, yes, that's him. Purple haired guy. The, yeah, the power behind the throne finally decides, like, oh, this isn't going so well. Maybe. Uh, on a side note, apparently they were given the promoted to those ranks because they were both good looking, according to the queen. <laughs> <laughs> Even though they were the principal reason that she became queen in the first exactly, place. Yeah. And so, Selvan is the guy who tends to take care of most of the political stuff in Grand Org, and Diaz is the guy who actually goes out there and fights. Although right. they, they, they're somewhat interchangeable. They both have a very wide-ranging skill set. It's very clear when you meet uh, Selvan and Diaz that they're kind of the brains behind the crown, and she's just up there to be a pretty face and make people hate her. <laughs> Which she does very well. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Totally. So they, they decided to kind of, like, half carry out her plan. And uh, kind of like set part of the city on fire to kind of draw out the resistance. So Stock and everyone comes back. They're 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 kind of like trying to, to save the uh, princess, and you know like they have to fight their way out. And one of the resistance members, Pierre, kind of like uh, betrays them, and you have to have a big fight against him. And then they they finally work their way out. I think there's a another dead end on one of those choices where the mm. where the princess is caught, mm-hmm. but. After after escaping, you get a big long scene between the princess and Stock, where we learn about her brother Prince Ernst, who was executed for standing up to the previous king, who had kind of gone mad. And once again, she notes that Stock kind of looks like she she reminds him of the prince. He looks a lot like him. Go, go figure. Mm-hmm. And 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 she lays out some more. I believe that's where she lays out some about the ritual that has to be performed to prevent the or delay the desertification. Yeah, the the ritual of sacrifice. Yes. The, the ritual of flux, I'm sorry, that needs a sacrifice. Yeah. Yeah, someone has to And it's about this time we get back around to where Rosh shows up, where where, where that we referenced earlier, where he's, you know, intending to Francis. So that's part where you have to kill him and then take his gauntlet back in time to fix it and the <laughs> To get it fixed and give it to Rosh and the other timelines, so you think doesn't want to kill you here. <laughs> By time travel standards, that's actually not too illogical. <laughs> and then that chapter ends with everyone getting hit with sleeping gas and getting captured. And when that picks up in chapter four, Stock is in prison in the nation of Cygnus, which you've heard a little bit about, but haven't really seen much of until now when you are plunged headfirst into it. And he's alone at, at the start. And King, King Garland of Cygnus, well, he's he's a pretty forthright type of guy. Mm-hmm. And once he recognizes that Stock is pretty impressive, he allows Stock to duel for his freedom. Well, take a wild guess what happens if you lose. Then it really is game over. <laughs> and then Stock frees Ott. 
Yeah, Ott has been along for the ride here, and <laughs> her scene where she is attempting to serve drinks in a tavern is kind of amusing, especially when Stock gets her out of it. Mind you, she's nine years old. Well, she's a slave. It doesn't matter how old you are. You can tote those drinks all over. <laughs> Maybe satyrs are very mature for their age. Maybe. We don't know. Even though her her sprite definitely doesn't look all that old, but no, no, let's not read too much into it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then in order to find out about what happened to Erica, you have to fight a few more duels. And one of them requires that you gain the ability to use chi because there's a guy who just causes you to freeze in place until you can stop his chi summoning power. So and you're also yeah. given another non-standard game over if you screw that up, too. You're, you're going to get a lot of these non-standard game overs unless you're playing with a guide. But really, getting these is part of the fun because I know. Yeah. None of them is just a blank, you died. You always get a little bit of text explaining exactly what happened here. No, I th- I think, I can't remember exactly what happens. I think uh like, overloads something, and then she, I think she ends up dying because she overloads too much. And because yeah, she, she's an important she player. That's her shaman ability that allows her to counterbalance the chi, but it taxes her so much that she ends up draining her life really fast and as Teo and Lipti tell you, well, it, it turns out that Odd is absolutely essential and you'll have to find another way to overcome his chi. Why don't you go back and try again? <laughs> yeah, she expends all of her life force to release the power of chi but and then she ends up dying and Teo and Lipti are like, don't do that, you idiot. <laughs> so you have to go learn chi from the other timeline before you can continue in this timeline. And that requires you to go along, now that you have repaired his gauntlet through the magic of parallel timelines, Rosh is willing to be the leader of your rebel forces, but you need allies. How are you going to get, where are you going to get allies? There's an amusing bad end here where you can attempt to ally with Gran Org, which has just been crushed. That goes badly. (laughs) Turning you to the other choice. You have to ally with Cygnus, which is, since this is the history where you haven't met King Garland, that's going to be interesting. (laughs) Oh, yes, and this is also where you get to see the new weapon of Alistel, the divine judgment that turns everything in in a certain radius to sand. Oh, and we haven't even mentioned the scientist in Alistel, the the crazy inventor guy who... Who only has a head, the rest of him is what appears to be a steam powered body of some kind. Oh, yeah, yeah. Fe- fennel. Fennel. Yeah. Fennel. fennel. Thank you. There. Yeah, he invented the, the Thou machines, which are like robots and other machines powered by mana. Yeah, he kind of looks like a messed up Dr. Robotnik slash that one Star Trek character that can only communicate with beeps. He, he kind of vaguely reminds me of. Uh, uh, Vato and, and the Ghost in the Shell, actually, with the which is weird sort of glasses. Yeah, that too. <laughs> and now I can't help but think he had a really good voice actor in Perfect Chronology, mm-hmm. but no, we can't talk too much about that yet. <laughs> no. <laughs> so, where are we? Alternate history or standard history? The, We're both? in alternate history. We okay. just saw the Divine Judgment wipe people out, and now since Cygnus 
had most of its troops wiped out by them turning into sand. It's time to try and ally with Forgia, the home of the beast kind, the gorilla people. And what do you know? They don't like people very much because people have this history of taking advantage of them and making them do whatever people seem to be interested in, which is generally not in the interest of the beast kind. But what a shock. You have to prove yourself in order to make them uh, ally with you. And you can't do that in this timeline. (laughs) You're going to have to go to the other one and get the mark that proves you are able to take the trial, which will allow the Gutrols to ally with you. But luckily, Gafka teaches you cheese so you can go back to the standard timeline and get past the Chi Warrior without Ott blowing herself up. (laughs) And then, shockingly, there are a couple of optional fights that you can take part in that are... Particularly the last one is ridiculously hard, but if you if you want to see everything in the game, you're going to have to try them. Yeah, that you only have art and stock with that fight, and it is particularly brutal. Mm-hmm. So yeah, after you learn Chi from Gafka, you defeat the Chi Warrior and find out the information that you need that Iruka is in a prison in Cygnus. And while you're trying to rescue Iruka, you reunite with Rainy and Marco. And while this is going on, you get attacked by a giant spider. And you defeat the spider in the boss fight, and that's when Garland is really impressed by your strength. And he decides, screw Diaz, he's going to join you guys' cause. And that's when Garland's assistant, Hedge, just pitches a huge fit. And Garland kicks Hedge to the curb because Hedge is just a gigantic jerk, which that'll have no repercussions later at all, period. (laughs) No, and, and where did those spiders come from in the first place? Oh, sounds like Diaz had something to do with them. Almost like so, he's he can't be trusted. Right. So that's when King Garland decides to meet with Iruka and become their ally. And they hatch this plan to ambush Diaz with these whirlwinds that are in this canyon. And that's when Hedge, Diaz's former assistant, ambushes Garland. And you have to go into the past and prevent Hedge's betrayal. Otherwise, this whole t- timeline plays plays out and you get a game over again so you have to go back stop hedge and then you can go through the canyon as normal uh plowing through by the way you prevent his betrayal after you see it happen diaz turns on him and kills him as his reward so you just prevent present something that hedge owns and knows could only come from him and Mm -hmm. say look this is what happens if you go and attempt to get anything out of diaz you really think that's a good idea and then he runs like a screaming little chicken, and we never see him again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Good, I hated that guy. <laughs> but um, after this happens, you plow through Diaz's ballistas, and Diaz's troops are devastated by the whirlwinds, all according to Garland's plan, and Cygnus is saved. And at that point, you agree with Erica to find more allies to aid you in your cause, and you head off to Scala. Are we going back to the alternate history for Chapter 5 now? Yeah. Um, well, wait. These two well, timelines. And the alternate history, you're still trying to ally with the Gutrols, and they will trust you if you can free some Gutrols who have been imprisoned in Scala. <laughs> and, of course, doing that by brute force is not going to work, so you have to go steal some uniforms from the Alistelian soldiers. This is the history where Alistel has pretty much conquered the continent. 
free the Gutrals, and then that you have allies now. You attack the Sand Fortress, and shockingly enough, Alistair uses the Divine Judgment to turn everybody, including some of their own soldiers, into sand. And that means you're going to have to go to Grand Org in order to find some means of circumventing that Divine Judgment. So, roadblock there. Oh, and in, in order to do that, you get, have to get through some shadows that the Black Chronicles wielder throws at you. So then back in the standard history, Stock and the party had to scowl to meet a Gutrell named Burgess in order to form an alliance with Forgia. And Burgess informs you that the only way the Gutrells will meet with humans is if they have a beast mark. And Burgess helps you helps helps lead the way through the forest to the temple where you can do the trial to earn the beast mark. And you go through the temple, you do the trial, you gain the beast mark, and then you gain the trust of the Gutrals, and you use that to basically win a huge battle at Greynorg. And I I believe that you finally kind of tell Protea to go screw off and that. And she reacts after a moment of disbelief by cutting and running. Yeah. And I don't think you ever see her again, do you? Not unless you're playing perfect chronology, in which case things go a little right. further, but yeah. Right. So because you got the... And at that point, that you can't do anything else in that timeline. So you can go back to the alternate history, and because you have the Beast Mark play all the way through... Or you... Crap, I can't remember now. You... you because you have the beast mark, you can start doing the part after. Sorry, I'm drawing a complete blank. <laughs> <laughs> with the beast mark, you are able to get the Gutrals to ally with you, and you are able to lead. Well, you of course have a choice. Do we wait for the Gutrals to come back us up, or do we go out on our own right now? Shockingly, if you go out on your own right now, things don't go well, so you've got to go back and. Wait for the Gutrals to come along. Time to assault Granorg, which is under the control of the evil Hugo at this point. And you have, thanks to the standard history, the Ethereon, which Erica gave to you in order to protect you from the Divine Judgment. Back through the sewers in order to get into the, the castle of Granorg, where you unfortunately have to face the Valkyrie herself, Field Marshal Viola. And Heiss is also here, but... Shockingly enough, he slips away, almost as if he has more to do. But Hugo, after you've beaten the crap out of everything in Grand Org, runs away with a few last soldiers to Alistel, where most of his raiding soldiers give up. And he just decides to go camp out in the secret laboratory you haven't been allowed to explore for the entire game and find that it's... But you know, it's the it's the power source for all of the foul machines that have been used to conquer the continent. And Hugo decides to use them and the power that he finds down there in order to become a demigod. And shockingly enough, as a demigod, you are unable to do a damn thing about him. So it's time to go find an, a means of getting around this. Yeah, he basically he basically ends up with the power of flux and can rewind time immediately around him like you can to heal all of his wounds. And fun as it might sound to constantly fight an enemy that regenerates everything you do, uh, it's really not. <laughs> yeah. 
So you have to take the drain historica back to back in time to Celestia where it is restored, and the restored historica allows Stock to overcome the power of Flux and defeat Hugo for good. And in this timeline, Erica also regains the Grain Org throne, and peace is restored. And at this point, the two timelines converge. And that means it's time for the final chapter, where dun dun dun. Heiss is the Black Chronicle wielder. No. <laughs> I had no idea. Didn't see that coming. I know. There were absolutely no signs whatsoever. <laughs> Though that does make him a much better villain than uh, the Cloud of Darkness. <laughs> yeah. And, and Heist dumps a little exposition on you. He was supposed to be a sacrifice for a ritual performed by Erica's father, King Victor. Instead of becoming the sacrifice, he killed Victor <laughs> and ran. And then, dun, 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 Stock is Prince Ernst, who was thought dead? I, 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 don't, so. I don't hear anyone's jaw falling to the floor at this. <laughs> he's related because he's his uncle. Shocking. Well, what's yep. funny is that the game kind of hints at this throughout the entire time. Every time they're about ready to say it, Ott stops you because Ott doesn't want Erica to take stock away from her. Well, yes, because she, being a shaman, is able knows, at least on some level, that stock would be the sacrifice. She doesn't mm-hmm. want that to happen, obviously. Yeah, Ott seems to have a crush on stock. Oh, yeah, there's that, too. But it's not really the case of, oh, no, they're getting too close together. It's, oh, no, you know, she could inevitably lead to his death. Oh, and Stock, once he finally, once this is finally put out in the open, he reacts as Stock would. Well, okay. Yeah, that's, that doesn't change my mission at all. Thanks for telling me. Something like that. (laughs) Really, though, I prefer that to, oh, no, I've been your brother all this time. What am I going to do? And just whining for 50 minutes like that. <laughs> Am I finishing out the, fr- the final chapter? Or? Um. Well, you also get some backstory about the White and Black Chronicles during this kind of exposition dump. Where the White Chronicle helps the sacrifice build character and allows the flux and their soul to build and this kind of enlightenment in their soul makes it more powerful, letting the ritual um, last for many years and in a way helps literally shape the future. And the Black Chronicle uh, helps the user reflect on the mistakes of the past and helps them remember all of the sacrifices that gave their lives to help save the world so that they're never forgotten. And Heist kind of rejects the black chronicle and basically rejects that doesn't like the idea of being a sacrifice and thinks that the world is wicked and wants to see it destroyed and um stock on the other hand kind of when because tio and lipty tell tell him this and he's kind of like okay i i totally understand and tio and lipty comment that his soul has truly become enlightened and it kind of really turns the whole noble sacrifice thing on its head a little bit to kind of show that, yeah, sac- being sacrificed sucks, but it's for a good cause and it's for to secure the future of everybody around you that you love, that loves you. In the words of Spock, the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few or the one. Right. 
Right, and Stock kind of tries to tell. Oh, hold on, hold this. on, hold on, hold on! I got to throw a flag on the field here. I've been listening to this, but keep it quiet because this is really outside my territory. But the way you know, Mickey, I love you to death, brother. But the way you just flippantly just quoted Spock as if you were just quoting, you know, somebody stupid like Shakespeare or something, that was unacceptable. You know, all right, Phil. There's got to be gravity. There's got to be gravity to that. All right, let's hear your gravitas as Spock in delivering this line. What, what, start me off again? I need to start. <laughs> I need to start. I just, I need to start here. What was the start again? The needs of the many there you outweigh go. Ah. the needs of the few. Okay, all right. One. Ah, thank you. All right. <laughs> I, I feel I, I'm back at peace now. Thank you for wait, making me whole. Wait, I had to do that. Where was your <laughs> gravitas filled delivery? All right. Whew. Thank you. All right. Continue, guys. Continue. But, yeah, the the way that the Chronicles are revealed in this is kind of touching. And you kind of see that Heist certainly has a point that, you know, what's the point of all of the sacrifice and stuff that's meaning? So, because yeah, it doesn't yeah. stop the desertification. No, it, it just pauses it. It's on hold for about a yeah. decade. And humanity, humanity, it kind of sucks sometimes. Yeah. yeah. Now we so never the, get to see King Victor, but from what you hear about him, particularly near the end, he seemed to be a rather unpleasant person. Yeah, and I think the Black Chronicle, I believe, also communicated to Heist like all the negative feelings of the past sacrifices as well. So that certainly didn't help. Yeah, and you and you also hear that Heist has been jumping around in time so much that it accounts for why, even though he's not that much older than Stock and Erica, he looks like he's in his seventies. <laughs> so all all of this comes to the, comes to a head, and you get into a couple of boss fights, going through this really annoying last dungeon where you've got to kill companion cubes and put them in places to get through it and can you tell by my voice that i found that dungeon to be annoying <laughs> well i blocked most of it out of my mind so i must have annoyed me i guess i don't recall that this, this is also of course in the very last location you can reach on the continent the one that you were never allowed to go before because hmm. heist and, says let's let's finish it there <laughs> and, and i believe there's also uh like a boss gauntlet that you've got to run through too that's also equally annoying but luckily, you can say you can save any time, and the boss gauntlet has its own node, so that you can go back and stock up on items and heal and stuff before you continue on, which which is nice. But then it all comes to head, and you have to beat the Black Chronicle in a boss fight where you have to push these high shadows into the Black Chronicle in order to damage it. And well, you, you that do... requires us to talk about the combat system, which we haven't done much yet. Well, well, we'll get into that in a moment. And then, <laughs> after you beat the Black Chronicle, Heist absorbs all of the souls of the sacrifices and basically rips off the tower fight from Final Fantasy. <laughs> it's literally the exact same fight. And that's the final boss of the game. And I remember losing to it the very first time because it petrified me, and I wasn't looking out for that. Yeah, um, I had to go through that fight a couple of times trying to get the true ending. And, like, one of the third times I went through it, everybody in my party got petrified, and I was so pissed. Hmm. Didn't get, I don't think it gave me that much trouble. And the first two times, it didn't give me trouble at all. And then the third time, when I was much more leveled up because I did a bunch more of the side quests, oh, then I just RNG just got in. yeah, 
bad RNG, and I, I hate it when I was fight like that. But you beat. I think. I, I think the final boss is called Apocrypha. Apocrypha. Yes, thank you. I kept wanting to call it Apocalyptica, and that's not right. <laughs> so after that happens, you think the sacrifice still needs to happen, and Stock sacrifices himself, and then the ending plays out. And depending on which side quest you finish, you'll get a bunch of different scenes in the ending. And if you, there are ten key side quests that lead to true ending. And if you didn't do all those side quests, then Stock stays dead. Versus if you did do all the ten key side quests, then Stock or Heist is the one that sacrificed. And that's the true ending. And at the end of the game, if you get the true ending, Heist asks you if you would rather be called Ernst or Stock. And I, I picked Stock because that was my name. And Stock's response was, I've been Stock my whole life. I don't see why it should change. I don't know if anybody picked Ernst. I, I don't think I did. I don't think so. I'm yeah. sure it's a typically stock-like response, even if you pick Ernst. Yeah. <laughs> even, yeah though I, even though I, no one calls me Ernst any longer, I was born Ernst. Yeah, something not, like why that. Why not call myself that again? <laughs> so, yeah, that's the end of the game. What a long, confusing trip it was. <laughs> Very. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's because of the whole switching between timelines that a lot of the middle is forgotten. Like, replaying it and looking over stuff, it's coming back to me, but man, it's confusing to keep it straight. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Yeah, I mean, it's possible to keep it straight beats, without some but... kind of outline. I don't know if it... At least I... And, and the game does give you an I don't think anybody is going to be able to immediately come up with a summation of the whole story just from listening to us here. It's yeah. it's not that type of story. No, each chapter is somewhat self-contained, except when you have to jump back and forth through time to get stuff. Um, it's definitely not a linear story, that's for sure, but to me, that's kind of what makes the game interesting, kind of seeing what affects the different timelines and how very different the timelines are. Like, you you guys saw the timeline where Queen Protea went full Mad Queen and burned everybody. In the other timeline, she gets killed, mm-hmm. just straight up killed, and it's kind of a shock. The, the contrast is definitely the most interesting part of the game. Just just mm-hmm. seeing the different way things can play out, even if it's somewhat contrived at times where you're just like, what, I made a good decision and now I get a game over? Aww. Yeah, and... You made a good decision based on what you knew at the time, but you didn't know enough. Exactly. And then... Yeah, th- th- yeah, sometimes I think they even comment, uh, Tio and Lipti, that's like, that was a good thing. It was a good one, just not the best one. <laughs> yeah, and... That's where we can kind of get into the side quests because the side quests affect a lot of the main story. They aren't just busy work that you do because you do them like in other games. They actually matter. Like one of the ones that I wrote down was Sandsword side quest where you're one of the guys in the resistance group asks you to go bring them a sandstorm from a sandsword from Scala, which you can't get until a couple of chapters in. And without it, he fights bravely, but dies <laughs> yeah. because his sword breaks. <laughs> yeah, and, but but then if you go get it, he he lives, and it, it kind of affects the outline of that whole scenario. And I think that also Pierre's timeline changes if you save a little girl from or his. 
I think it's his daughter from the sewers when you're sneaking into the sewers. And because of it, all of those scenes play differently. And let's see, I don't remember if it's required, but there's a scene involving a former companion of Marco's who's working as a spy in Cygnus. And you get the choice. Do I turn her in or do I let her go? And if you turn her in, then she gets executed. And Marco reacts to that by giving you a bad end where he hates Doc so much that he actually hunts him down and kills him at the very end of the game. I remember that. <laughs> yeah, that that is one of the key side quests. That Whereas you if you do. don't, if you let her go, then it turns out she was being manipulated by the Black Chronicle wielder. And boom, she gets turned to sand. and. Marco blames the wielder of the Black Chronicle instead of Stock. Mm-hmm. Um, another side quest. Well, another side quest that seems kind of innocuous, but ends up kind of really mattering, is helping uh, botanist grow these oh. monoflowers. Yes, uh, co-nuts, they're called. I, I, yeah, that's you actually start that early on, and then uh, near the end, uh, you find that you get like a hint as to maybe what started the whole mana destabilization thing. Because mm-hmm. uh, if uh, if you if you if the the botanist who, who finds it, he wants a suggestion: should he use it to like for machine like to power machines, or should he use it to try to make the land like you know make the land green again? And of course, if you choose the machine option, the, the concept becomes overrun with machines. So, mm-hmm. but in the other one, he like Stock convinces him to do it to make the land green again. He'll be remembered for you know restoring nature. And the, the twins hit, say that uh, they're, they they wish that their father knew more about this. And again, hinted that he had something to do with starting it in the first place, and that maybe these plants will be a way to restore mana to the land. Let's see. Is it requ- I don't remember it being a key thing that you find this master who has disciples in several cities, and until you have reached the right point, they will just say a strange phrase that Stock will be stupefied by, and they'll just tell him, well, go along your way. doesn't matter. Until you have finally um, achieved the knowledge of, ah, these are the disciples of the master. And once you get all of them to tell you their key phrases, then the master who of course has the swap the palette swapped sprite of several generic annoying magic enemies will teach you some new skills and Ott and Erica and if and then you get to fight what might be the hardest battle in the game against the master himself <laughs> um now that wasn't a key side quest but that is kind of an important one to do because that's the only way you could give them some of their different ability scrolls and some of the ability scrolls are pretty brutal and there's also uh a side quest where you teach gofka a bunch of ability scrolls too yeah and he gets those by dueling the uh, one of the elders in his village and I mean dueling, which is inter- – that's unique because that's the only time in the game where Stock isn't fighting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, one of Gavka's key side quests is called the Beast God's Birth, where you have to go find um, something called the Beast God's Nail. And you're given a decision whether or not you're going to give it to Gavka or not. And if you give it to Gavka, he basically goes all King Kong and destroys the world. And then Tian Lipti's like, well, you shouldn't have done that. <laughs> and, oh, and, uh, another and then question- you, get, you get to choose whether he is going to 
accept or decline the power of the nail. And, well, he says something to the effect of, I do not need the power of a god in order to fulfill my task. Just the power of a mortal is enough. Something like that. Right. Another one I remember, I, this might be one of the key ones, because I know it does play into the extended ending, if it's the good ending, is uh, one of the uh, the Sateros NPCs, I think her name is Lise, uh, sort of an older sister-like figure to Ott. Oh, uh, yes. Yeah. She's in love with a human soldier, but, no, you know. She, she's not in love with him at first. He's in love with her. She's... No, I'm pretty sure she is, but she just thinks that there's two, they're, they're too different. Uh-huh. Well, she, she's, she's the one who's definitely trying her hardest to push oh, yeah. him away. Because... Yes, definitely, definitely. <laughs> And uh, at I, I don't quite remember that place, but it, event, in one timeline, the soldier dies, Lise finds out, and she's you know they're distraught over it. And then if you go back to the other timeline, the feelings from the from the one timeline somehow, of course, translated across time and space to the one in the other and the other timeline where the man is still alive, and they uh, get going and they're you know they become a couple. And the extended ending, she reveals that she's pregnant, which turns out to be a, a sign that. Humans and Satteros can get along after all. In more ways than one, apparently. Because, oh, the lady in Celestia who really, really doesn't like humans at the start, turns out if you don't get Lise and this guy together, she will eventually have a vendetta and kill every human she can possibly get her hands on at the head of a Celestian army. Yeah, she has another extended side quest I forgot to character oh, Elm. She has another extended side quest where her lover was the original wielder of Historia, and you have to go into Greynorg's secret lab and find out more about him. And I think Ott is the one who sends his soul off to the off to the afterlife in that side quest, and then you go back and you tell Elm about what happens. And you get another non-standard game over if you screw that up. There are a lot of creative game overs in this game, if we haven't made that clear. Yeah, I mean, okay, you always know you're in for one anytime Stock says, I have to think carefully about this. And that's when you know, okay, I am going to have to think carefully about this. And a lot of times you think you're making the right decision. Like that first, the very first one, I thought I was making the right decision, and then I got the non-standard game over, and then Tio and Lipty tell me why you screw up, and it's like, okay, that's how this game is going to play out. And I found myself kind of deliberately screwing up the game a lot, just yeah, so that just, I could see all yeah, the endings. Yeah. yeah, every time that you know you've made it through, then you figure, all right, well, how did it go wrong if I chose wrong? Mm-hmm. Let me see. And because it doesn't just throw you back to the title screen, but lets you pick a note again, then you really don't lose anything. Mm-hmm. And some some of them are really interesting, like the side quest with Stock and Rainy, where uh, Stock decides to give up fighting and decides to be with Rainy in the end. And at first, you think that one is going to be a really happy ending, but then because he decided to, you know, give up fighting to, to live the world a quiet ended. life with her and not attempt to stop the what's killing everything. What do you know? Everything dies. <laughs> so no, they can't be happy together until this problem is solved. And it also helps flesh out Rainy a little bit because she she has a, she gives you a few hints there in, around along the way, but until that, she never really makes it clear that she's actually fallen for stock or that he would reciprocate. True. True. 
I mean, this is stock. You, you have <laughs> yeah. to ask him directly before he says anything on the matter. So, do we want to summarize the characters, or have we talked about most of them? I feel like I we ran through them pretty about... well, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think we really left anybody out. Well, then we've got combat systems, support systems, graphics, music, so tackle all those in whatever order you want. Yeah, the, the combat is really interesting because it's a turn-based battle system, but all of the enemies are placed on a grid. And it's right. a it's a three-by-three three grid. This combat system, Phil. It's, it's very much like a tactical setup in that you're your enemies are on a grid. It's a nine by. It's a three by three grid. Nine slots total. Some of the enemies take up more than one slot, and you get to rearrange the turn order if you want, which might seem like a terrible idea. Why would you have the enemies just unload on you first? It's because if you have all of your turns come sequentially, then the enemies can't react, and you have the ability to push them into each other, and. That'll, and uh, the longer the combo that you can string together, the more damage each part of it does. And it's just really fun to smack a big enemy around so that it picks up several other little enemies. And then, oh, you'll love this part, Phil. You can launch them into the air with a couple of moves. Ooh. And you smack them with a quick combo. And the, the great thing here is that even if you've got the full po- 10 turns possible in one row, it moves along really fast. You don't have to wait for super lengthy combat animations to play out and you get bonuses if you clear them out efficiently with amazing combos or doing a uh, physical and ma- like a physical followed up by magic is another com- is another combo mm-hmm. that works pretty well or you know if you're super strong you can also just hit auto battle and let <laughs> everything take care of itself you can, but I don't remember ever doing that because I genuinely enjoyed smacking things into each other and hitting the same square and making everything die simultaneously. Oh, I I did too. I love this battle sim because yes. every every single fight was kind of like a puzzle. It's like, okay, how can I smack these people around yeah, just like- to get them to line up so that... I can I can defeat them in the most efficient way possible. Yes, yeah, so just lots of fun. Just like okay, push it left, push them right. How do I get them all into one spot so I can take them all out at once? And then l- later on, move because they're, so, they're stuck in the ground mostly. Yeah, and later on you get abilities that can like push push an entire row or smack an entire row left or right. So then you have to be even more strategic to figure out what moves you're going to use. And then I think Gofka learns one that can do everything in the center, but that also costs a lot of mana. So you've got to be careful how much you use it. Yeah, he has a move that does that, pushes everything to the center, and then he has another move that launches a long combo on the center. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Um, oh, and then, of course, those spiders we mentioned and a couple of other enemies take up everything so you can't bounce them around because that would make things too easy. And not only that, enemies can throw up barriers that can screw you up. Um, enemies can throw up healing circles. So if you leave an enemy in a healing circle without smacking them and out of the healing circle, you can really screw yourself over. Uh, or they'll set up defense or offense things that you've got to get them out of fast or else they'll rip you apart or mm-hmm. 
Yeah, they can do to kill. Yeah, they can do formations that'll screw you up. I I got messed up in a couple of fights towards the end where there was like a king and queen pawn, and if they got pushed together, then they would just completely wipe out my party or hit my people with status effects that would just cripple me. Yep. Yeah, that will definitely happen because even though they can't switch the turn order around like you can, they definitely have means to make you pay for being careless. Um, Some enemies, I don't know if this is in perfect chronology or the original, but some enemies can delete your turn order. I think there, I recall there, that in the original. I'm not, I didn't get far enough in perfect chronology. Few. Most of I seem to recall the shadows in particular that the Black Chronicle wielder throws at you having that ability. Or yeah, when you fight, he he can do that, which makes sense. Yeah, yeah, and that that can screw you up so hard. Oh, there is one other weird thing we haven't mentioned about the battle system is that all the battles take place, at least in the DS original, they took place on the bottom screen, not the top. The turn order was up on top, so it was kind of like. A, an odd decision and in, in in the case of my old ds kind of putting that down there on the scratched up bottom screen <laughs> yeah the idea was that you were supposed to be able to control the entire game with the touch screen as was common with most original ds games yeah mm-hmm. i prefer what perfect chronology does which is put the battles on the top <laughs> there there are plenty there are some touch screen functions you can use but they're not placed front and center so that you cannot possibly get around them. Oh, and Ott in battles is often the single best character because she has those amazing traps where you can put something in an unoccupied space, slam everything into it, and then all of them get hit with whatever the trap effect is. And usually that means they're all dead. (laughs) This is also one of those games where status effects actually work and you're encouraged to use them. Mm -hmm. So poison (laughs) can do some pretty devastating effects or um, poison on like some of the armored enemies you have to, otherwise you're only going to do one point of damage. And unless Unless you you have magic. Yeah. Unless you want to sit there and cherry tap them all day. Well, I know some of the crab enemies were immune to magic and that the only way you could you could damage them was to get poison to stick to them. Yep. Fortunately, poison sticks almost every time, and you just wait a turn so that the poison takes almost all of its life away, and then even if you're only doing one damage per hit, all you need is another one point of damage, and it dies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Or you would stick poison on a really, really tough enemy to kind of help keep it softened up while you're applying your buffs and trying to heal while they're just rip- ripping you to shreds. Yeah, the the corollary to being able to put all of your turns together so that you can do a combo is, of course, that the enemies, once you have given them the service of putting their turns first, will take advantage of that to start attacking you. And generally, you want to pay attention to that because if you are foolish enough to dump all of your turns, try to put all of your turns together, when the enemies are already ripping you apart, you will probably deserve a game over. Mm-hmm. And many of the bosses in this game also had the ability to summon adds, which if you, you know, in some boss fight, well, in some other games, if you ignore the adds, you're fine. But if you ignore the adds in this fight, you're going to have a bad time because those adds can do just as much damage or really impede your progress. So it kind of behooves you to use your abilities to get those adds down as quickly as possible or else they're going to screw you over. 
And usually that revolves around pushing either them or the boss into each other so that you can be efficient about it. At least until they form a formation and then you are screwed. <laughs> well, then that means even if it breaks up your nice combo order, you better push someone out of the way. Mm-hmm. You really, you really got to stay on your toes during the battles this game, which I like and appreciate. Cause I don't like just sitting there mashing the A button to get through the fight. Well, if you do that in this game, you're not going good. You're not going to get very far. No, nope. not at all. And it's a good thing that good performance earns you more money because, oh, and you will also get plenty of restoratives because you will be running through your MP quite a bit using your special moves all the time. But the game kind of seems to acknowledge that that's going to happen. So it's not the end of the world if you get low and have to use some items. There are plenty available. Yep. Oh, and yes, and thanks to time travel, the people who are not in your party because you're in the other timeline somehow seem to still gain a little experience. I'm not sure how that works, but it does. Yeah, just a little. Um, unfortunately, Princess Eruka kind of gets the short end of the stick because she's barely in your party throughout the entire game. Still very useful, despite that, despite being underleveled. Yeah, she, she's useful, but she, she's one of the better magics in the game, mm-hmm. that's for sure. Yeah, and she's generally the guns key. Come in handy. Yeah, with her magic, you can rip through a bunch of armored enemies that otherwise you have to poison and outweight. I, but yeah, I, she's also kind of a glass cannon. True. Yeah, I ended up using uh, Stock, Rainy, and Marco throughout my entire playthrough just because they. I like that they had the best, of, some of the best abilities to push stuff around, and overall, I just kind of liked how balanced they were. That. Uh, Stock was the physical attacker, and Rainy was the magic u- magic user, and Marco was the healer. And Marco is really, really good at having moves that bounce things around the screen as necessary. So you can use him to bounce everything around into the right position, and then unload on them with Stock and Rainy. Mm-hmm. Oh, and Rainy also has a couple of nice. She has a poison move. Which, once you've jammed everything into one square, is really, really effective. She, she has a poison move. She has a regen move. Um, I think later on she gets an uh, armor break move to help soften the enemies up. Uh, Marco has some of the best buffs in the entire game with a guard boost to help toughen you up a little bit and a magic boost to help um, help your magic, which you can you can use a magic boost and then just have Stock and Rainy rip through things pretty efficiently. Until you try and tackle the master in that optional battle, because, oh my, does he... Uh. I beat him in perfect chronology, but it took me a freaking hour to do. <laughs> I had to look up a couple of strats to beat the master, and even then, it, it took some pretty precision uh, strikes, and even then, I think I thought I was going to wipe it a couple of times. Yeah, he just he just keeps hitting you with either poison or power down, or and there's four of him. That's mm-hmm. the pro- that's the big problem. There's four of him, and he can do double attacks. And I can't. Or can he turn break you, or am I mis? I know that he can ruin your day. I don't think he can turn break you, nor does he need to with four of him. He, he can sleep you. That's what he does in your day. Yes, that's it. So yes, I. I don't care to do that again. Taking him on once was enough. Never again. And then I can't remember. Perfect Chronology had the fight with the three stocks. 
Yeah, which we shouldn't talk about, even though that was very nasty. Yeah, that that was a that was an optional fight you could do too, I think. Which ugh, that I hated that one even worse than the masters. Okay, more combat notes. Oh, the mana burst. And another thing that you that's pretty nasty is um, you have this meter at the bottom of the screen that that can fill up as you're fighting. And once it's full, you can either use it to do a turn break, which basically eliminates the turns of the enemies. And you also learn super moves later in the game. But really, the ability to turn break is just so useful that I hardly ever used any of the super moves. And I don't know if anybody felt the same way I, yeah i'm pretty sure that's the only one i ever used <laughs> what i remember in perfect chronology i did use a few of the super moves but turn break is the best how else are you going to make it so that you've got that nice 10 solid turns of your own without having to suffer through the boss tearing into you for a couple of actions take its turns away <laughs> Yeah. Which gets really amusing if it's it's got super high agility and it gets more actions per capita than your people do, because then you're going to have to do a lot of turn breaks in order to get that nice unbroken stretch, but it's worth it. Uh, real, it's a really handy kind of... I, I don't know if you guys like to kind of bust it out at the end, or if you like to do it at the beginning to give yourself an early advantage to like get your buffs up or get some stuff armor break or whatever. I, I like to bust it out at the beginning. It's kind of conditional for me. I I, I don't have a set pattern. I think yeah, I think I, I think I was the same. I think I usually did, didn't always do the beginning. Yeah, that's what I remember. It's been like six years though. <laughs> and I haven't gotten far enough in perfect chronology to, to get it, so. Okay. I think we're running. Oh, and enemies are visible. That's nice. Yo, that's yeah. so nice. Oh, you can also oh, yeah. did you mention you can stun them by hitting them? Nope. With the sword. So yeah, that's always useful. So you can either get a preemptive strike, or if you don't feel like fighting, you can just stun it and run away. Or if you're bad at that, then it'll catch you in the back and get a preemptive strike, which you yeah. generally don't want. Mm-hmm. And they, you also get that vanish ability eventually, and you're able to just kind of like sneak past enemies. Mm-hmm. The the vanish ability costs mana, though, so you can't rely yeah. on it too much. Yeah, it doesn't take mana at a ridiculous rate, though. So you you can use it and not have to completely refill stocks MP every thirty seconds. So it's not like an, another DS game that we won't mention that drains your resources at a rate just for running i have no idea what you're talking about kelly that certainly doesn't reflect my memories of anything we might have spoken of in the past no it doesn't i'm repressing those memories very efficiently and i'll thank you to help me do that no we we shouldn't forget lunar dragon song otherwise somebody will be repeat it <laughs> you had to say it there you go yeah Th- thanks kelly. well well, this is decidedly a much better game than Lunar Dragon Song. Um, I'm sorry, Melly. You're breaking up, Melly. Can't hear you, Melly. What? What? And heavy metal is loud. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it nails that sprite-based graphics, and the the game is really beautiful. Um, even the original DS version was really beautiful. 
It's a very it, good looking DS game. Mm-hmm. It, it definitely had that kind of 16 bit pushing into um, PlayStation era sprite graphics that was just amazing. Um, it does a really good job of making each area very distinct. Yeah, um, I think that each area in the game, like the different towns and stuff, look very, looks very distinct. Like um, Alistair is definitely a kind of a tech town, and it has a very steampunky vibe. Mm-hmm. Whereas Greynorg looks more like a classic medieval kingdom, which is kind of nice. Um, my one complaint about the graphics is that like some of the areas themselves look really repetitive. Like the lava cell plains, all of the areas in that in that area kind of. Or, and that field kind of looked the same. And my memory uh, is you had to you had to traverse it a bunch of times. Some of those areas. Yeah, yeah. And if I was going to complain about something about the game is how much you kind of see the same areas over and over again. Not only because you're going back and forth through time, but because there 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 is there's a world map, but the world maps are, the world map is just points, and you actually go into the areas, and the game blocks off areas. As you progress, and you can't. Skip and a over. lot of the time, yeah, you you can't just run around the landscape and skip over everything. And there's usually a plot reason. It's oh, we we we're staying undercover. We we can't take something visible, but it still means you get to traipse through the same places again. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. and if I was going to knock the game a point, it would definitely be be for that. But I mean, that being said, even though you're going through the same areas over and over again, at least those areas are gorgeous. And by going through them again, once you've acquired new abilities, you tend to be able to find stuff you weren't able to reach before. Yes, that's true. Um, It kind of behooves you to, after you get the ability to see hidden things, to look in every single nook and cranny because you find a lot of hidden chests and many of those hidden chests have some of the ability scrolls. Or other extremely useful things like really good equipment that you might want to make use of immediately mm-hmm. or really good restorative items or I'm sure I'll come up with something else, but those are good examples. Yeah. You're, you're encouraged to explore and even not just on the fields, but like in the towns themselves, like I know each room in that huge three story building and Alistair has a hidden chest in it. And the character, I, I don't know how you guys felt about the character art itself. It was it looked very dark and somber to me in the original. Yeah, it really did. I, I, I know we're trying to avoid comparing it, but the character art and perfect chronology, I liked a lot better than in the original. It was very dark. And... Yeah, and yeah. I have to look at the original art because the perfect chronology stuff what is fresh in my brain from just looking at it a couple months ago. I my, for... Yeah, my only complaint is that I miss Erica's short hair. You don't see a lot of short-haired princesses out there. Yeah, I, I wish they would have kind of melded, the, made her, given her short hair, but then kind of given her the the beautiful princessy look. Yeah. Because I didn't, I didn't realize until I looked up this new game, like, wow, they really gave Erica a makeover <laughs> in perfect chronology. That is true. Though, heck, at least she's distinctive in either version. True. Yeah, I, I like that they kind of stuck with each character has their own unique silhouette, and they're not just kind of carbon copies. They're not they're not only not carbon copies of standard RPG tropes, but they also look unique compared to each other. 
And heck, Erica is still a princess who uses a gun. You don't oh, see yeah. that very often. Right. Yeah. Nonetheless. <laughs> well, sometimes it, it describes them as pistols some of the time. Yeah, but a lot of times she's usually, at least in the artwork, she's definitely carrying a bunch of them are rifles. Yeah. Some of her animations in battle, she's twirling her pistols as if she's in the Old West. And that is pretty neat. Uh, what'd you guys uh, think of the soundtrack? I really enjoyed it. It's I generally like Yoko Shimomura's music, and most of this stuff is not overly peppy, but it's very atmospheric. And I loved the fact that Gran Org has this nice, very pleasant track that completely doesn't fit with the fact that Gran Org is the enemy nation that you should be fearing when you enter the place. And... If yeah, I rem- I, I, go ahead. If I remember correctly, isn't it almost kind of Celtic sounding? Or I think so. Uh, have it on there yet? Um, haven't returned yeah, there I, yet anyway. Uh, so yeah, like, yeah. like the common overworld music has a slight Celtic sound to it. Mm-hmm. And you, you hear a lot of Yoko Shimomura's signature, like, you know, string instruments and woodwinds, and used very well. Yeah, um, my favorite track in the game is Where the Wind and Feathers Return that plays when you're in Historia and I think when you're looking at the um, White Chronicle in the menu. Also, during any like sad scene, it comes on, too. It, it, it's very pretty, uh, very pretty and very haunting, but also very beautiful. Yes. I really like the theme for Celestia, which is very piano-heavy, and... The the one for the Gutrol town and the jungle around it, which is extremely percussion heavy and definitely comes across the theme of a jungle very effectively. And then I remember the battle theme, you know, be, being kind of peppy, but it has a very slow rolling start to it and then kind of k- kicks in while you're fighting. Yep. Stays pretty, mem- mem- stays pretty memorable throughout. Uh, and uh, the boss, the, the boss battle themes are pretty good, too. And oh, there's also there's an ending vocal song. I don't know if they change it for perfect chronology, obviously, called Historia. Which I is very nice. I don't think they changed. I think it think... stayed hmm. in there. Because um, uh, obviously the, the the remake has a new opening, but yeah, I haven't no idea about the ending yet. I'm pretty sure it stayed the same, but I'd need to ch- check again. Um, I know that the music sounded a lot better on the 3DS well, speakers. That's not no surprise there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Even though you still probably want to wear headphones either way. Mm-hmm. Which actually, I generally did. I'm actually maybe I don't know if I should be surprised, but because uh, uh, it there was despite the vocals, the vocal so- uh, song at the in the uh, original DS version, there's not a lick of voice acting in the game and. Before, there were like DS games with some voice acting in there at the time. The World Ends with You, the Luminous Arc game, Sands of Destruction. Um, the, the one didn't have some. The one DS game I remember having voice acting was Suikoden Terracris, and I hated it because. <laughs> it... What you don't like everybody talking like this because the compression has been. Again, I again I thought Luminous the Luminous Arc games and Santa Destruction and uh, the World Ends with You had pretty good voice acting. <laughs> Yeah, it was a little <laughs> bit much. Now, now, do we want to talk briefly about what they updated in the Perfect Chronology version? That's the version that most people are probably going to end up playing. Yeah, but we won't go into too much detail because then we'll be reneging on the central <laughs> backtrack promise that we don't spoil things that aren't in backtrack 
eligibility. Well, I I think it's worth noting because to me, the 3DS version is basically like a Blu-ray enhanced version of a movie that you really like. It's, yeah, it's like a. I mean, Atlas has already have released um, Devil Survivor Overclocked and Devil Survivor Two Record Breaker. I'm actually a little surprised this came out now and not sometime after those games. Since they've done this before, this 3DS overclocked version. Yeah. They may have so, just had to wait on Japan to get a move on. <laughs> maybe. It's, there's also you know, there's also Strange Journey Redux coming out too. Ooh, I can't <laughs> wait. I can't wait for that. Wait. So Phil hasn't said anything, but I know he's <laughs> making to play Strange Journey again in the Redux form. <laughs> You know, sometimes people can't admit when they're in an abusive relationship and they keep going back to it. Yes, I I, I actually got this on pre-order, Mike. See? I'm a sucker for punishment. It had an, an irrevocable effect on your life. And now we oh. know that you will go back because you're getting something that you need out of it. <laughs> I, I, I just think to myself, maybe this time... Maybe, maybe I'm just lying to myself, Mike. But maybe this time I could actually beat the final boss. Just maybe. Well, you know, I a lot of for my demons, they help me beat that thing. You know, to be fair, Phil, a lot of these Atlas remakes do have difficulty sliders yeah, when they remake yeah, maybe, them. Yeah, yeah. See there, Mike. See, it won't be the, it won't be as bad this time. I, I know it won't. You'll only have one black eye instead of two, right? <laughs> yeah, I enjoyed it all the way up to that freaking boss. <laughs> Just saying. Because, like, for example, this 3DS, ver- the remake of, Perf- of Radiant Historia, has a diffi- has multiple difficulty settings, including a casual mode that lets you skip battles. So, Phil, maybe you need the casual mode for Strange Journey. I like the battles. I even got past some of the difficult mid-bosses without too much problem. It was that final boss. Hours and hours trying to beat him. And then finally I broke down, looked up the FAQ, and I read like three different approaches that people had taken in the sky. And and all of them seemed to involve mad amounts of grinding these creatures to get these specific parts to put together the ultimate armor and demons. I'm like, you know what? No, no, strange journey. Well played. You win. You win, game. No, you hate you. Well done. You have another chance. I have another chance. It's on pre-order. <laughs> so, some okay, of the different... perfect chronology. Um, yes. yes. <laughs> can I say that the cast Atlas came up with is really good, and that the voice dialogue is absolutely worth hearing? Yeah. Yes, yeah. That that was a game changer for me for this game. Yeah, it definitely brings the the, the cast and the story more to life. Definitely does. And and I like. Uh, and of course, I saw on Game Facts that some people were complaining. Oh, Atlas USA didn't include a Japanese audio option on a 3DS cart. Oh, jeez. <laughs> on a 3DS cart, on the little 3DS carts, of course. If you're that freaking curious, guys, go look it up on YouTube. <laughs> Atlas USA did a fine job with this. As you they usually unless- do. Unless you absolutely cannot stand the idea of anything ever being translated from a different language, you will be fine with the performances here. <laughs> you know what? If you're that butthurt about it, then get yourself a Japanese 3DS and get yourself a Japanese copy of the game and have fun. Oh, wait. You can't. Do you like my graphs? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
So um, another improvement that the perfect chronology version has, it actually has a map on the bottom screen, which is really handy for getting through some of those areas that look kind of samey that you go through over and over and over again. Yeah, that's been a a huge help. Yeah. And let's see. There's that ability to have people who aren't currently in the party come in with support attacks. That's really helpful at points. Uh, It's not going to necessarily make or break the battle, but having them actually show up and do something, they might heal you, they might attack the enemy, they might buff you. That's really nice. My oh, favorite was, uh, the, sorry, my favorite was when they would poison people because it <laughs> really helped. Yeah, and that's another skill set you can now acquire. They have several different support moves that you can have them learn, and once they're out of the battle party, they'll be able to just pop in and use one of them randomly. Oh, and the interface, you are able to equip people even when, because you're in an alternate timeline, they aren't in your party right now. That may may not make any logical sense, (laughs) but it's really handy. It's like, you know what, when you pop up within time and space, you will get new stuff. You may be in the alternate timeline right now, Erica, so that I have no idea what you're doing, but I am nevertheless able to give you these new pistols that you will immediately equip and use because you are innately familiar with the fact that everything I give you is better. Um, just just a minor little thing, but I thought it was an important detail. The white, the story in the White Chronicle is a lot more th- fleshed out in the 3DS version. Because when I filled out our little show notes, I was trying to use the original version to, you know, do our show notes. And just sitting there comparing the two, it's like, wow, they really went all out on the Perfect Chronicle version to give a good summary of the story. Yeah, I remember you having to scroll down a lot to see all of the text for each entry. And you know, as it's particularly nice if you you know set the game down for a little bit and then come back to it, you can kind of catch up on where you were going. Especially since the story is so convoluted. <laughs> <laughs> and let's see here. There are more nodes now, and pretty much all of them relate in some fashion to the third timeline, which involves. Oh, let's see. What is her name? She dresses like a witch. Nemesia is her name, I Nemesia, believe. thank you. Yes. Yes, you meet and her pretty early on. And she thinks a teacher or something. She's like, you know, you get an F or something. Yeah, that's, that's her thing. She either gives you an A plus because she thinks that you are her private student, or she'll give you an F for terrible manners or terrible attitude. And she is seeking to put together something called the Red Chronicle, which got scattered all over the winds, and most of how you get through that is to go through the third timeline, which has a few running threads and a whole lot of smaller pieces that don't add up to a complete story where you just get to see, Oh, here's, here's another way things could have gone. But there's the very interesting fact that you get to see the prophet Noah in some of these things, you know, the guy that Hugo is constantly citing and you never saw in the original version. He's actually here. And there, one of the reasons why I called this kind of the Blu-ray director's cut edition is because because of this possible timeline, a lot of characters that don't get a redemption arc or you don't ever see again, actually, that shows what happens to them, not just in the possible timeline, but in the main timeline. Yeah, something that happened to them in 
one of the many ways that the third timeline can go will have an effect upon them in the main histories. Sometimes it's a bit of a stretch for people who have been nothing but disgusting, worthless, without any redeeming characteristics to get changed that much. But it's a very interesting thing to see. Yeah, it, it just—it's a nice. It was a nice way to tie up a lot of those threads, and because of it, um, it all because of the extra side quests and stuff, because of the possible history, you also get a completely new ending to the game that doesn't feel tacked on. Not unlike Nino Cooney, <laughs> which that felt unnecessary and tacked on, but this one actually kind of wraps things up a lot nicer than you would think. Yeah, the the actual conclusion brings in some elements that you didn't necessarily think to ask why why wasn't this addressed further originally? Yeah, and we're being intentionally vague since this yeah. is a newer <laughs> game and we don't want to spoil. Yes, also I haven't finished it. And, and somebody on this cast hasn't gotten all the way, so she <laughs> might in fact appreciate us not telling her everything yes. right now. Yeah. Hey. No, everybody dies. Game over. <laughs> Wait, that's that can actually happen in this game. I better not say that. Oh yeah, when when King Kong actually jumped out and started smashing everything in Alistair, that was surprising. <laughs> I have no idea why that happened. Well, that actually happens though when you uh, the Gotrol becomes the Beast God King. He turns into King Kong. That's how I interpreted that ending. I interpreted it as him going all. <laughs> Going Hulk. <laughs> okay, when Rick Moranis came out and started asking everybody who brought the dog at the party, that was when I got surprised. <laughs> <laughs> and the game And then also you learned, had... of course, that Gozer the Gozerian was behind the desertification. <laughs> <laughs> and then it was Tyler Durden who was dead the whole time. No, wait. Yep. But yeah, and the other thing is that um, you can pick which version of the game you want to play if you want to play the original then you can play the original if you want to play the the perfect edition that includes the extra timeline stuff then you can and there's also a new dungeon the vault of time which doesn't have much of a plot function except for one point you have to go there for nemesia but you can just go in there with everybody regardless of what point in the timeline you are, and they'll all be able to pitch in, and you can get a lot of unique items from the guy who monitors the place and just decides to pay you for cleaning out monsters. That That's seriously his justification. Anytime you want to come here and clean out the monsters, I'll reward you for it. And there's an optional super boss in there that I never beat. I took the character's advice and did not try. Apparently he's beatable, and you get a lot of the currency for it, but the the better way to get the currency is to hunt down the gold crab and just wail on it. Yeah, it's another one of those things where if you can poison it... No, you can't poison it, actually, but it won't run away, and even if it only takes one damage, you can just bring in people who have combos that do a whole lot of one point of one damage, and you'll get it. Yeah. And then the last thing the Perfect Chronology has, and what 3DS game doesn't have this, and it isn't perfect without DLC. Which I have not tried. Uh, Anna kind of goaded me into buying the Hot Springs DLC for no other reason than because you get to see Ross shirtless. (laughs) And um, 
It's also kind of a free end. Whoa, whoa, that woke me up. Where, where, where is that at? Where, 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 did I get, where, where, where did I download that? Rush yeah. is the big man who has oh. a gauntlet for you his You do get to arm. see the females, too. The not shirtless. Oh, okay. But, uh, uh, not shirtless, uh, but... I'm getting confusing signals here. Now or, I'm not you know, so sure about this. Or, you know, if you're into gorillas, you can see Gafka shirtless, too, which is kind of nice. <laughs> if, if, if Harry chests oh, your thing. Oh, man, look at the time. It's time for the final lap, isn't it? Oh, man. Look at, <laughs> wow. I, I think we'd better go up through the prices now. The, wow. the, I will say that the benefit of the shirts DLC is that it refills your <laughs> mana, get your... your um, your gauge that lets you turn break any time, so you can just pop in, refill that, and have it anytime you go. So definitely worth the four bucks, and you get the bonus of shirtless frosh every time you need a refill. I, I I'm so uncomfortable with this podcast right now. Uh, moving on, are we moving? Are we moving? Move, yeah, moving on now. We get to just, talk about the price because this game, yeah. the original, got really rare really quick and skyrocketed. And that's with a reprint, too. Yeah. Yeah. Because I'm finding it for just 21 bucks now. Mm-hmm. Maybe it went down because of the. I on Amazon, because 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 of the probably the, or the 3ds yeah. coming out, but right now, Radiant History Nintendo 3D uh, regular DS and then regular whatever is 21.49 brand new on Amazon. Uh, and, and what's really funny is it remembers that I ordered this on February 27, 2011, <laughs> and uh, I never played it. <laughs> Oops. Amazon remembers everything, Phil. Every, it's, it, it holds my sins in front of me and embarrasses me. So, <laughs> and if I d- dig in my history, it will show me that I paid more than $21 at the time because I probably paid full price, maybe minus the 20% new game discount program. See, well, that means you didn't pay the ridiculous prices it reached once the print run proved to be way too limited. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, now, I bought it brand new uh, the day it came out, and then after I found out that it was going for just ridiculous, ridiculous prices, I was so glad that I did. I got a pre-order, so I was set. <laughs> yeah, so I Radiant, okay, oh, yeah. I did not pay for it at all because Mac sent me a review copy, <laughs> which which I then had to return to Atlas. <laughs> oh, no. What, what were you trying to say there, Jarpenter? Yeah, I, no, I bought this game. I don't remember. I know I bought it after it came out and I read reviews, but it was before it got expensive. And then when it it got up well over a hundred bucks, I I sold the thing on eBay. Oh. (laughs) You capitalist. Now, Radiant Historia Perfect Chronology on the Nintendo 3DS is $39.88. Question, which one do you get? The cheaper older one, both of them work in your 3DS, or the Perfect Chronology for twice the price? I, I gotta say, Perfect Chronology is the better version of the game, oh, yeah. hands down. Um, if if you like, see the original at a garage sale or at a used game shop for twenty bucks, especially if it has the CD that it came with, I wouldn't pass it up. But if you really want to play this seriously, then I would get Perfect Chronology because it really kind of took what was already an excellent game and just made it even better. Anybody else? All right. Well, Amazon would seem to agree with you. Uh, Radiant Historia Nintendo DS has four and a half stars with 228 customer reviews. 
Whereas, granted, it's only 33 reviews, but it is a perfect five stars right now. With 91% basically giving it five stars and 9% giving it four. And as we know, Amazon reviews are without flaw. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Those are never purchased or anything along those lines. Uh, so you guys, you guys heard it here first. Get your perfect chronology on. After hearing how awesome the original was, and that this just somehow makes it even better. So. Really, if you've been pining for the 16-bit era of RPGs, this is a complete throwback to that era with just a little bit of PlayStation era kind of sprinkled in for it, good measure. You know, I've said this. I've said this over and over again. The 3DS has just—it is the bomb for JRPGs. I mean, it really has become. My favorite JRPG. It's just, just this is just one of those examples. You, you don't get this on your plate. You do get Monster Hunter World, but you don't get this. So just say, uh, cool. Well, we we need to start getting wrapped up here. Any any other anything else before we head off into the final app? <laughs> All right. So uh, gonna... I posted an interesting picture. Sorry, I posted an interesting picture in the Skype email that Atlas sent when they announced a reprint <laughs> where they said make more make more radiant historia or feast on fantir with a picture of tio and lifty at the oh, yeah. uh, thing yeah thank you which, for all your which, passion which, yeah yeah Easter. which yeah, uh that's pretty cute because that i remember that i remember get... that... oh, go ahead. No, that was an email that i had to say save a screenshot of because i laughed so hard at how painfully aware their print running woes were back then and they seem to have gotten a lot better about that well with the e-shop it's kind of easy oh yeah yeah. at the end of the day yeah you've always got the e-shop there but i think they yeah i'm really glad that worked out for them glad to see that you know where certain other companies have kind of left us hanging with the traditional jrpg side uh atlas is like a job of picking up and running with Uh, they they know their audience mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so go out and grab that boys and girls we're going to take another break let you listen to some more of that wonderful radiant music and we'll be right back
welcome back. This is the final lap where we talk about what we're doing on the website, kitchen sink stuff, and oh, so much more. Uh, let's see here. Our last episode, 185, The Hunt is On. You showed up in masses to express uh, your thoughts on our Monster Hunter retro discussion on Monster Hunter 4 Ultimate. And in droves, I really mean Budai. And Wheels responded. Uh, but he said, uh, 4 is the best, but I'll defend Generations. Yes, it doesn't have the story in G-Rank. But what I really enjoyed were the Deviant Monsters and getting their gear. Actually, my favorite time with the series was doing Deviant Monsters and Generations. My complete Hellba- Hellblade Glaiveness set I love. Getting a full Deviant set upgrade to max, which I did, was a lot of fun. Rank 8 to 10 was so hard, each fight took 30 plus minutes. And then he said something about, maybe if I had it on the the Switch, I I might be playing that still. And Mike pointed out, again, yes, you can get it on the Switch because the Japanese version is ring-free. Knock yourself right out, boys and girls. Mike's been trying to talk me into it. I'm like, dude, it's Japanese characters. I'm not going to try to figure out what those upgrades mean. Not going to happen. But yes, you can leave your comments at forums.rpgamer.com. You don't want to trust Google Translate? Mm, yeah, no, yeah. Taking pictures with my camera and trying to figure out. Yeah, no. You know what? Even when it's in English, it's still hard to know what half those damn gems do. I still have to Google up what half of them do. So I can't imagine translating it into English and then no. That's uh, anywho. <laughs> round, round, round. Uh, but yes, leave your comments at forbes.rpgamers.com or hit us up at Twitter. I'm at GT Servant. Mister Mike Minky is at Drew Mason. We would love to hear your questions and comments. Let's do round table. What are you guys? doing on the site what are you playing lately what makes you happy in life and we'll start off with miss kellish rian oh boy um i've been playing uh, nino kuni which i've been surprisingly enjoying i mean i i say that i enjoyed nino kuni one up until the tacked on ending and then after the tacked on ending i was like okay that was pointless and then found out that ending was in fact tacked on and was like oh okay that makes sense why that felt that way so when they when they announced nino kuni 2 i was like well i wonder how i'm gonna feel about that but i wanted something new to play on my playstation and picked it up and i'm having a lot of fun with it so far particularly the town building aspect of the game and it looks so pretty oh it's it's gorgeous it It looks looks like oh my gosh it looks like playing a cartoon Hmm. like we finally reached the point where we're playing cartoons now so pretty and when I'm the budget a, is there I'm, I'm appreciative of the fact that the mice are the bad guys and you're playing as a cat boy yeah because <laughs> you know too too many too much media vilifies cats and cat, cats are nice yeah it's cat discrimination <laughs> I, I, I call it anti-cat propaganda yeah it's mouse privilege and it needs to stop uh, uh, there's, there's a lot privilege. of anti-cat propaganda out there because a lot of people seem to be allergic to them or something. Well, a lot of people don't like having skunks spray them either, and yet I don't get the vitriolic hatred for skunks that cats sometimes get. <laughs> no, I, I understand why some people are put off by cats, because they're, they are they can be very aloof creatures. But every cat I've ever had has just been just my best friend in the entire world. So I get a little weird when people say they hate cats. <laughs> Well, I'm not going to say that. Anything else? Um, 
not really. I'm going to be going to San Francisco in a couple of weeks, which is why we kind of bumped out this podcast now instead of later, because I know that you guys were talking about doing an, a different one this week and doing the Reddit Historian one when I was going to be out of town. So I can't wait to go see San Francisco and Japantown and all that fun stuff. Be prepared for expensive lodgings. You, there are no cheap lodgings in San Francisco. No, I, I know. We already booked our travel stuff. Um, we got a nice little travel package deal for, I want to say, about three grand for me and my husband total. How long? And, uh, a week. Yeah, that's, that's not bad. Yeah, I, I was really surprised at being able to get it all in one package, just how inexpensive it was. I mean, all, all things considered, you know, three grand isn't exactly uh, a little bit of money, but it was a lot cheaper than I thought it was going to be. And I even found out that uh, Japan, actual Japan trips, if you get them in a travel package, aren't as expensive either. But that's a vacation that's going to probably be happening happening next year. So we're Ooh. doing... We're doing you have a passport, right? Um, we're going to be working on getting one. Okay. I have to um, renew, you just probably have to renew mine <laughs> this year. You know, I, we joked about this on RPG Cast. I had to go get my driver's license last week and right, getting I, I the, the new, episode. <laughs> yeah, getting the new real ID for your driver's license is like trying to get well items in a subquest to be able to get your travel your driver's license and it was qu- quite annoying trying to track down my birth certificate and marriage license and all of that fun stuff and then getting getting there at seven in the morning and still seeing 15 people in front of me ah yes the efficiency of the postal service in processing your passport applications i've been there yeah i mean at least the nice thing and i gave this on a pro tip on rpg cast um check your local dmv's website and see if they have online check-in because you will save yourself a lot of time and grief the local DMV does, but I still see people hanging out there every morning before as I go past. You would just, they probably don't know that it's there because even my husband, well, I went, just did a Google search for my local DMV and still couldn't find it. And I had to ask my husband, where is the link to that? So. <laughs> the DMV being obtuse unnecessarily, <laughs> that that blows my mind. Yeah. Yeah, but hey, once you know how to work the system, you're in. Use it. <laughs> True. So yeah, it's it's been pretty boring for me lately, but I'm going to have a pretty exciting time in a couple of weeks. Cool, cool. Make sure you get some stuff from Ghirardelli. Oh, right. Right. I'll have to remember that. Hmm. What about Miss Ramen Not Noodles? <laughs> More what? than usual for the site. Uh, I have... My Pokemon Ultra Moon review is finally completed and uploaded to the site. But damn. Check it out. Give it a check. Check it out. Uh, four out of five. And it's, and as, I, as I alluded to before, um, too similar to the original game, but still a pretty good game. Uh, did, also, did, you, did you catch them all? I'm working on that. Because okay, they all need to be caught. That just I just want to make that clear. I actually. Yeah, since there's no complete national decks in Ultra Moon, I was hoping there would be. I'm gonna 
I'm going to put together the closest thing I can to a living Pokedex in the, my Pokemon bank to keep track of that. Nice. Just like, I know I have all of them, or just about all of them, but they're kind of scattered now. Sweet. And, and so and uh, there's also, um, we're still working on getting up the new website. Uh, I know we've been saying we've been you know working on that at the beginning of the year, but it's it should be coming out later this month. I, I just saw it today. It has been upgraded from soon to very soon. Exactly. Very soon. Probably <laughs> for the end of April. Probably. Uh, and with that should come a, 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 should come a couple of new features, I imagine. One of them I contributed a few things to and another one that I contributed a lot to. So yeah. please be excited. One, uh, that we, mm-hmm. one that you and I put way too much time into. Exactly. Yes, yes. <laughs> Again, yes, so be excited for that one. Be excited for all. And uh, as for gaming-wise, obviously Ultra Moon, and I've been starting up Perfect Chronology, only got to a little past Chapter 1, in Radiant Story, obviously. And uh, I made a little more progress in Tokyo Mirage Sessions. Finally got up to Chapter 4, yay. And um, let's see here. Otherwise, just same old, same old. But yes, so... Uh, keep an eye. So yeah, keep an eye for the new site. Keep an eye out for some neat new features. It's all over at rpgamer.com. Soon to be new rpgamer.com. Oh, that'd be sweet. It'd be like the new 3DS. We just put new in front of our name, and it makes it something <laughs> different. But it's really the same. It's just a slight upgrade and a nub on the side. Uh, Let's hope it's new 3DS and not new Coke. <laughs> Ooh. I think the Nintendo has already done better by not having to bring back the 3DS Classic. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I I do believe it is Mr. Larpenter's turn. Yeah, yeah, you know, as a gamer, you always have a gaming backlog. And and I didn't know until working for RP Gamer that you'd have a writing backlog, too. So, like, the last few weeks has been, like, cleaning out my writing backlog. So I finished up uh, a Demon Gaze 2 review a few weeks back. Finally got done with that one. (laughs) It was long overdue. Um, I did a, a deep look on Monster of the Deep, Final Fantasy XV's VR fishing adventure, which is, um, man, everyone should go and look at that if nowhere, if for no other reason to, than to look at the really crazy screenshots that come out of that game. One of those weird things where I don't know where on earth Square Enix came up with that idea. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it, it's interesting. Fishing. Yeah, it's interesting. <laughs> And then uh, last week I got up a review, or yeah, not a review, a deep look of Into the Breach, the uh, FTL follow-up, which was excellent. I really like uh, Into the Breach. I, I put some time into it too. Totally, totally agree with you. Just, just a really great game, a fun game, a great time waster, I should say. And, and you know, from FT, from the creators of FTL, right? Yeah, yeah, same, same, same group, same, same team made it. Like four people, I think, made it or something like that. I want a yeah. lightning mech. I don't have a lightning mech. I'm just looking at the screenshot. Where's my lightning mech? You gotta pay for one. You gotta you gotta grind and get the uh, loot, achievements to get one. Loot box? Is that a loot box? No, it's no. it's achievements. No, it's like you earn them, boys and girls. There's no loot box in this game. Okay, stupid. Loot it, it's really good. I I <laughs> I liked it quite a bit better than if. I felt like FTL got way too hard at the end and was just way too punishing. And this one was much, much more manageable, especially on easy difficulty. Like, oh, I could actually win on easy without too much trouble. And then normal still felt pretty fair. Hmm. Tough, but fair. 
Okay, he hearing that makes me more interested in Into the Breach because I never really wanted to give FTL a try just because I heard that it was very nerve-wracking and I don't I don't do well with nerve-wracking in games because mice end up embedded in walls. Oh my gosh. Okay, now you're going to make me defend FTL. Okay, look. There's it is t- it is like yes, they they went the whole Dark Souls normal is really hard. I took that at face value, so I pretty much always played on easy. Um, and on easy, I beat the boss probably three out of 10, four out of 10 times, maybe not half because there is that RNG on it and, and whatnot. And, and there definitely there's some runs on there where you just don't get what you need, uh, and the such. So yeah, I would agree. That's a little tougher than it needs to be, but was it like nails? You can pause any time you can pause any time and it's, you could think through, through what you want to do and what have you and. But I liked FTL a lot. But uh, with that being said, I, so far I'm enjoying this game a lot. I haven't played it enough yet to say that I love it more than FTL. But I'm a huge Star Trek fan, which really also feeds into my love for FTL as well. I really think that that cute little game really makes you feel like you're the commander of the Enterprise. But yeah, I, I remember playing FTL, getting a lot of uh, Starflight vibes from back when I was a kid. That reminded me a lot yeah. of that game. Cute. But but it is yeah, yeah it could it could definitely have been toned down. Just. It, yeah, I think Into the Breach gets that balance better, and also, I mean, it's strategy RPG this time, this time rather than really RTS, so that also appeals from well, a it, gameplay standpoint. And it also ha- it also has like a backward, like a take back button, right? Like yes, one time during one. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. Yeah, once per mission. Yeah, once per mission, you can you know like redo the turn, so so that can kind of help you help bail you out of some bad moves. So yeah, check it out. It's a fun game. Yeah, and then. Uh, yeah, once I got all that done, I picked up Alliance Alive last week, and I've been playing that off and on when I get some time. Ooh, I've been playing that, too. And, yeah, that's the first time I've ever played a Saga game, but I've been really enjoying it. It's It's been a lot of fun. Um, that Alliance Alive, thus far, is a lot less abuse than other Saga games, and that, that's a good thing. <laughs> yeah, we had a long talk on that in a couple of backtracks ago. Saga games being kind of one that we want, the series that we want to love, but most of us could just never do it because we keep trying to. Except, we for, keep going except back. for Michael Apps. Except for Michael Apps. <laughs> and, so. and me, apparently. Yeah. Well, I think Guy you are. Like un- too. <laughs> are you able to unreservedly res- recommend Unlimited Saga to others? I think that's the mark of a true Saga defender. <laughs> one of Maybe these days. Wheels doesn't. <laughs> One of these days, I'm gonna try and get in that, get into that game because I want to master it, and I'll give you an answer then. And I, I don't ch- know that your constant efforts on its behalf, which will require much, much research outside the game, will be worthwhile. But I wish you luck. However, I don't know that your time will be well spent. No, I I have a feeling it's going to end in tears, but I want to give it a try just because I I, I want to see if I can master it. You know, some people have have life goals. That's mine. I feel like Mr. Apps should be on here so that he can hear this and congratulate you and encourage you. Oh, he would. He would definitely be the encourager here. Because uh, it's, it's, it's one of those things where they, to get that game's music is beautiful and that game's graphics is beautiful. There has to be a good game in there somewhere. I mean, yes, of course there is. Uh, so, wait, was it? It was. It was. Uh, it was somebody's turn here. I lost track. <laughs> is it my turn? I don't know. Uh, I don't know. Was 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 Larper done? 
Yeah, more or less. <laughs> okay. Uh, so yes, Larper. That's your new name. Aren't you proud? <laughs> <laughs> totally. <laughs> so so we're up to Makey. Well, okay, I put up a review for something called Luffy of the Legend Returns a little while ago, and only a few people chimed in, mostly to say that, yes, they had forgotten it, and what a shock. Not many people think that I was unfair. Amazingly enough, a game that came out 17 and a half, 16 and a half years ago on the Game Boy Color and was founded on the principle that random dungeons each and every time, which looked pretty much the same for every damn dungeon might in fact get boring. Get that, out. Was that one was that one randomly generated? Yep. Okay. Yeah, I and, remember playing it back in the day and not getting very far. Well, I persevered and look what I got. An ending where it finally kind of acknowledged that the first Lufia happened which was set 100 years after the second Lufia and then it Kind of, and then it decided to make a happy ending that makes no sense whatsoever, and all of the characters just kind of go off and do what the hell they were doing when you, they joined you. And I don't really want to remember any more of it right now, so I won't. And I just finished something using the virtual console on my 3DS called Defenders of Oasis, which I will be the very first to review for our site. Yes, a Game Gear RPG is what I, I was will about review to next. say. I played that back in like the nineteen ninety four or something. When you back back when you needed an original Game Gear, and you probably went through a good sixty batteries or so because that thing just chugged through them. Oh yeah, I, I hardly played it without plugging it in, and and there wasn't exactly at the time, anyways. You know, from the few pawn shops I could go to or yard sales wasn't exactly a huge depth and breadth of rpgs that i could choose from so i saw this one had cool box cover back picture whatever and i remember picking it up and playing it and it's got some interesting things mm-hmm. i will go into it in the review of course do not go for plot it is a 1992 game gear rpg you will not get a great deal of plot <laughs> but just this just is... the fact that it's set in a persia arabian area Makes it unique. Not many games do that. What system were you playing that on? The 3DS. I heard that on the... I, see, that's what I thought. I, I heard that on the 3DS as an additional feature to make you truly feel like you were experiencing the, the Sega Game Gear days is that it actually drains the 3DS battery in about 22 minutes. Is that true? Just sucks it dry. <laughs> I've not seen that. No. Maybe okay. I not download the optional DLC. Might have been an option. It <laughs> Yeah, no, uh, it's just that, yeah, no, those game gears were huge on batteries. I almost had to always plug it into a wall. It's not a very long RPG, uh, and of course it doesn't have a clock, so I can't quantify this in any way, but I think I finished it in around 18, 19 hours, and yet that still translates to about 60 batteries for the game gear. Now, th- does this game tie into, into Beyond Oasis? No, it does not. Huh. It has, it has a similar type of setting, but it is a completely different kind of RPG. Beyond yeah. Oasis is an action RPG with the emphasis on the action. This is definitely a turn-based, turn-based. combat that, with no recurring characters, no story links. That is interesting. And, As a kid, I always thought that this was like a Game Gear version of Beyond Oasis. And I think we can thank Sega of America's translation for that because, of course, its Japanese title doesn't mention Oasis at all. And then again, Beyond and Legend of Oasis were the story of Thor in Japan. 
So, like the Final Fantasy Legends and Adventures before us, they tricked us. Yep. Cursed came first. <laughs> Beyond Oasis came in 95, and then Legend came in 96 on the Saturn. Oh, okay. Well, that, that was just me being a stupid little kid then. <laughs> Generally, little kids are stupid. I well, was a stupid yeah, little kid, so no, I, I can stay. I I was even like I I remember defend whatever Oasis Mike had like that's the game I remember. But then like years later, when I heard Beyond Oasis, I immediately thought it was either the same game or like a direct sequel. Or so I was so excited. I went into the research. Mike's Mike's right. It's it's a totally different. Game. But the but the words are that like I I just thought it from from a distance they almost kind of have some similar art style qualities to them and. I can see why that would be super confusing. Well, you know, when you're a kid with a, a copy of Sega Visions and that's your only insight into games on the Sega, you kind of make your own conclusions, and they're not always right. Aren't we glad we have the internet now to dispel this stuff? Yeah, no, no false conclusions have ever come from the internet. <laughs> no, never, ever. So yes, there will be a Defenders of Oasis review coming up. I even had to ask Alex to make, Severin to make a brand new game page because somehow we didn't have a game page for that. Get how out! That, how, did, how did that oversight happen? Uh, I don't know. Would you say that? Would you say that you were favorable towards it, or or how do you feel about it overall? My score is. I'm thinking it's going to be a two point five. I liked a lot of it and found it creative by these standards, but the combat system is weird it's everybody doesn't take a turn at once instead it seems to recalculate the next action randomly so that sometimes somebody won't get to act for seven eight actions and instead one of the enemies will get to act twice in a row or maybe even thrice in a row that's not very nice but the genie was interesting the fact that he doesn't gain levels you just pump him full of items and he gains stats from that and he's your only magic user and instead of having any items that give him back his MP, he learns a spell where he pops into the lamp for the rest of the fight and regains some MP the longer he's in there. Yeah. That, that's that's different. Spiffy. Yeah, yeah, that's cute. Oh, and he doesn't learn any spells automatically. You find them on plaques scattered around the dungeons and you read them, and he learns a spell from that. Hmm. Cute. And some, a lot of the enemy designs, especially for a Game Gear thing, were kind of interesting. One of the latter bosses is this ugly thing that has a green lower body and seems to have six arms coming out of its upper body, which I'm not doing a very good job of describing because I don't have it in front of my face. But for, a, for an 8-bit RPG, it's quite interesting to see. And then I've started something new. Because in a couple of months, we'll probably be talking about vanillaware stuff. So I figured I'd better start up Muramasa Rebirth. And what do you know? I'm having fun. These vanillaware games just look awesome to the eye. So pretty. And the, the Vita, once again, is just a bastion of quality stuff that, of course, Sony has forgotten how to market. So screw you, Sony, for being stupid. <laughs> uh... You know, if I had seen Ready Player One, I would probably mention it because I think things that everyone listening to this podcast will recognize are in that movie. But I haven't seen it yet, so I can't. Um, I, I've seen it, and I concur with that statement. <laughs> it's good to know that I'm on firm ground with that distinction. Um, I, I, was, I didn't see a lot of RPG characters. Um, I did see a couple of video game characters. It's good. 
gonna be one of those movies that I'm gonna want to get on Blu-ray just to pause and kind of look at somebody else. Um, I can tell you that Sonic makes a cameo that if you blink and you miss a couple of times. And I also saw a Warcraft Murloc in another scene. <laughs> yeah, uh, my my husband was actually getting mad at me. He's like, "Shut up! Stop pointing out stuff. I'm missing stuff." <laughs> but I was just I was just so excited. Sonic and a Murloc in a movie. I'll see it soon. I I'm not sure when yet, but soon. Um, I don't know what your opinion is on the book, or if you've even read the book. I have a friend who read it. I have not yet, and um, that might be for the best. Yeah, if if you've read the book, you might be in for. Or if you haven't read the book, you might be in for a better time because they changed a lot. It's about eighty-five percent different. Well, Spielberg generally knows what he's doing when it comes to making movies, so I'll trust that he had some idea of what he was doing. Yeah, there there was some stuff that there was no way there was going to be able to get into the movie and make it exciting. Like there's a D and D dungeon at the beginning of the book that the kid goes through and some other stuff that really just wouldn't work either for copyright reasons or just for excitement reasons. So a lot of that stuff changed, but the the spirit of the books is still kind of in there. And they also made some changes to to some characters that I kind of felt were for the better. I can't really go into it without getting into too many spoilers. Um, overall, I thought that it was a very enjoyable movie. Um, I don't get the internet backlash for that book or that movie, to be honest with you. I can't, I don't know how to get into that without getting into too much controversy. I just, I think people kind of latched on to the nostalgia of that book and not wanting it sold back to them and have just been kind of lashing out about it, but I, I thought it was a fun time, and that's when I go to the movies, that's all I care for is just to have fun. Yeah, I can generally agree with that, although I did voluntarily go to go watch Still Alice, in which Julianne Moore gets early onset Alzheimer's. That is not a fun time, but no, I, she, she did a really good job. I mean, I mean, full disclosure, I don't go to a lot of sad movies or a lot of drama movies because my philosophy is my life sucks anyway. I don't want to be reminded of why life sucks, which is why when I go to the movies, I want to go to an Avengers or a Pixar movie, although those make you cry too, or stuff like that. Anyway, we can get into this more later. I gather Phil is nearing the end of his candle for the night. Yeah. <laughs> um, let's see here. So, you know, as as we talked about in the last podcast, did a lot of Monster Hunter 4, played some more. Uh, I've got uh, at least one friend who comes from Monster Hunter World and he just I mentioned he got him to buy a 3DS. The guy's already got through low rank. Which I have not done yet, and I'm 80 hours in, uh, because the, he just loves the game so much. Uh, so again, if you're coming off a of Monster Hunter World and you're looking for more Monster Hunter 4 Ultimate's definitely a great way to go. Uh, on my own personal blog, I kind of went back to doing the RPG of the month thing using the month as kind of an acronym. So M was MRPG Month for 
madness or monster hunter depending on how you look at it but uh and then at the end of the month which i just did actually posted it today i write a little bit of a brief review it's not an rpg review it's my personal blog review uh i basically give it one of five quote-unquote scores which actually has no number it's just basically toss it play it try it complete it finish it um and then i'm telling you for next week for next month and so I want to talk about Monster Hunter because I talked about it so much on the last show. You know I love it. It's a great game. Go and play. Uh, and we'll be doing Monster Hunter. If you want to join us on Monster Hunter 4, uh, and I'll mention this on Twitter as we get closer to each Sunday, but we're doing it. Mike, uh, Mike, Mike, uh, Michael Apps and I are going to be playing every Sunday night uh, at starting around 7, 8 p.m. Mountain Standard Time. So that's uh, like 9, I think, 10 o'clock Eastern Standard. Uh, and if you want to join us, hit us up on Twitter and we'll get you into the group somehow. Uh, aside from that for next month, I'm playing, it's, it's ARPG April. A of course stands for American. I don't know who thought that was action RPG. That's August. Everybody knows that. Uh, and so I'm playing Jade Regent because that's the most American RPG I could think of. Set in the Orient. Jade Regent, made by Bioware. Jade Regent or Jade Empire? Empire. I keep saying Regent. That's the role, pen paper role playing game. Uh, Jade Empire. Sorry, Jade Empire. I I keep like I've tried it once or twice, and I just actually need to sit down and play it. So that's April is dedicated to actually getting through that game. It's not that long. I can do this. No, long. it isn't. I, I, I remember being able to do it without. I mean, when I did it, I was unemployed, so that make it, made it easier. But. Uh... Yeah, it wasn't that long. Yeah, I feel like I got this. I feel like I can do this. So that's what I'm doing. Yay. ARPG. April. Do it. Pick an American RPG. do it. It's made by Bioware. North America. Boom. It's a winner. Uh, I I love how you're lumping Bioware in there, even though Bioware is clearly in Canada. (laughs) It's North America. It's totally... It's America... I never said United States RPG Month. It's America RPG Month. Wait... Don't you want to play Secret of so, Evermore, which so is definitely South made in America? <laughs> yeah, no, no Secret of Evermore. Yes, yeah, South uh, South uh, South America. Sure, whatever. Got a game made in Brazil. Let's do this. Let's do this. Where's it at? Okay, but it's got to be in English, though. I don't do that whole translate Google translate wasn't while I'm trying Black, to play a game thing. Wasn't Black Sigil on the DS an American RPG, or am I mistaken? I thought that came from uh, a team in Quebec. Now I gotta look it up. I don't know. There's gonna be all I, kinds I seem of to remember it was a Quebec team. Everybody's gonna be like, "Yeah, you gotta Google that one up." <laughs> um, but hey, there's a game we haven't done on Backtrack, but I I don't think we can support an entire episode on it because I don't remember much. I believe I, I'll, I'll leave y'all tonight with just a couple things to look up on YouTube that are pretty damn funny for people who listen to this podcast, nerds and stuff like us. Uh, there's a there's of course tons of great April Fool's stuff. Um, I think Think Geek had a couple of really great ones this year. Uh, you can look up Think Geek Quest Management Kit. Oh yeah, that was hilarious. <laughs> and the thick think the Think Geek Stat Discovery Kit. If you just and Think Geek is all one word because that's the name of the company. So Think Think Geek Stat Discovery Kit. Two hilarious videos. You'll have a great time watching it. Even had my wife laughing her rear end off. It's just great. So go and check it out. Oh, and one more thing I almost forgot. If you really enjoyed our last podcast, we talked about Monster Hunter. You might want to check out a new audio thing uh, that Mike 
Michael Apps and I are doing called The Hunt Stories from Monster Hunter, where we are we have created a condensed one hour show where we're talking about our adventures through Monster Hunter, specifically focusing on Monster Hunter uh, World and Monster Hunter Four ultimate that mike and i have been playing together more and more often uh but you might hear us uh, dive into some other things here and there as well but it's going to also give you great tips and tricks for veterans and newcomers alike you can find that on the website by searching for the hunt stories from monster hunter or just following me on twitter because i've been uh, tweeting about it so and giving direct links that's another easy way to keep up but go and check it out if you liked uh, liked what we talked about, but you're looking for a little bit more of a focus format. The podcast or the episodes only go for about an hour. So. Uh, but thank you all so much for listening. We're really glad that you downloaded and listened to our cast today. We'd love for you to leave your thoughts and your comments and everything else on Twitter or at rpgamer.com. You can also hit up uh, Twitter or uh, rpgamers at Twitter at rpgamer, so you can always do that. Uh, do y'all have your RPG hand? Oh my gosh, I'm tired. Your Twitter handles? <laughs> we have Jay Scarp, right? Yeah, Jay Scarp. Yeah, we have at Strawberry Eggs? Berry Eggs. Berry Eggs. Uh, yeah. No straw. No straw. Eggs. No straw. And then there's that other person. There's another person. <laughs> I know there is. I swear I heard another voice on this podcast. Um, Red Rock 963. There you go. So, you know, reach out, out to us on Twitter. We'd love to chit-chat with you. Let us know what you think. Let us know what you think about Radiant Back to the Future Historia. Uh, <laughs> you know I'm going to put this such as... Anyways, all right. Well, thank you all so much for listening. Head over to rpgamer.com, your source for news, reviews, and home to the best gaming community on the net. We have a ton of sister podcasts on there, including the Q&A whatever just other podcasts <laughs> go check them out it's late uh and, and and listen to what we have uh we love you have a great evening and keep playing retro games
baby. 